We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Notre Dame fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am Vince D'Addario. I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, Brian Driscoll. He's the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And uh, how, how come you get like that emphasis on football analysts? I'm like, ah, eh, it's a publisher. I mean, it kind of hurts. That kind of oh, hurts, man. Wow. Kind of hurts. See, it, it's, uh, it's one of those Freudian slips, I guess. Uh-huh, I didn't mean to do uh-huh. it. It's just happening. Um, Let's talk some Notre Dame football, Vince. Yes. Yes. And we obviously. Had the NFL draft last mm-hmm. night, so that is exciting. Round uh, one. Round one took forever, as mm-hmm. it always does. Um, but it, it was it was good stuff. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Um, as a Bears fan, I enjoyed it for the most part. Yes, they had um, a good, great night, I think. I, it, was, it was interesting. I've got my feelings on Justin Fields and Ohio State and all that. But I try to take a step back. He's no longer a Buckeye. He's no longer a Buckeye. No longer a Buckeye. He's now a Bear. He is. uh, I didn't like the way he left Georgia. That I didn't really appreciate how that all went down. I think that that was more driven by others around him, not him. Right, and and I was just going to say that I I have to remember that's probably not him per se. Uh, he just wanted saying you want to get eligible right away. This needs to. This happen. is what you got to do. I, I, yeah, I, and, I, and I get that to a degree. I, and I, I think that's hurt his reputation a little bit in, in unfair sure. ways. I, I do. And I was but, on that wagon. I was. And we'll, so. we can probably get into this as, as we get into draft talk. But I, I, I actually had the Bears in my mock draft. I had the Bears trading up to number six to take Justin Fields. Wow, that's how so good they, I thought he was. So the, the, the fact that they could trade up to eleven and get him. 
and not have to give. I mean, you're still gave up a first round pick next year, but you, if you if he's a legitimate franchise quarterback, two first rounders, a for an extra first rounder, is to me worth it. But sure. you didn't have to maybe give up a, a third pick, you know, a fourth pick kind of thing to to move up all the way up to six. So I I thought it was big for the Bears, and you know I'll, I'll take any chance I can to to hammer the Bears just to just to mess with you. But <laughs> I, I thought it was a great pick. I, I think Justin Fields has a chance to be the second best quarterback in this draft class. Uh, well, we will see. I know he was the second best uh, quarterback coming out of that class mm-hmm. from high school for sure, and the number uh, two player in the entire country because yes. he was behind just Trevor Lawrence. Correct. Correct. So. But, all right, so let's jump into this thing. We had a couple questions over on the Facebook side uh, that I want to get to first, Brian, and they're from uh, Gregory Nielsen. And uh, his first one is, is Javon McKinley a reasonable comp for C.J. Williams, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, uh, no, not, not the college version of Javon McKinley. I, I think that, to me, the, the better comp that I would use for, for C.J. Williams is Juju Smith-Schuster. Be, because I, you know, Juju's like what about six one and a half, two hundred ten, fifteen pounds. Not a burner. Ran mm. in the four fives at his pro day coming out of college, but he, he's a he's a big time volume guy. And, and here's what I mean by that. Look, I know that everybody loves speed and obsesses over speed, and and obviously Notre Dame wants and needs to add more speed. But I also think that people have to understand that speed isn't the only way that you can be a big time receiver. And guys like Juju Smith Schuster, T Higgins have shown that. T. Higgins ran a 4.5, almost a 4.6 at his pro day, or maybe it was at the combine, one of the two, and he averaged 18, 19 yards a catch during his career. And Notre Dame saw firsthand that he can be a big play, big play guy. When I look at a guy like C.J. Williams and I see that Juju Smith-Schuster comparison, he's that guy that may catch eight balls in the game for like 109 yards. He's not yeah. going to catch a bunch of 40-yard bombs like Will Fuller. He's going to be more of a Michael Floyd type. Now, he's not as big as Michael Floyd, but that type of volume pass catcher. And you need that kind of guy, especially in that boundary position and even at sure. the X. And now you complement him with a really good tight end and maybe as, and that's why I say Xavion Bradshaw being so important in this class, because you complement him with another speed guy. But, you know, if you're going to have guys like Lawrence Keyes and, and Braden Lindsay, for example, that type of player, Lorenzo Styles Jr. even to a degree, those are not guys that are going to be catching eight, nine balls a game. Physically, they're just not that kind of player. So you complement those lower lower touch guys who are maybe more dynamic with a more possession type guy. And I, and I hate that phrase because people look at that and they start – it's kind sure. of like game manager, quarterback. You start right, throwing all these right, negative right. connotations. I don't mean it like that. That's <clears> why I use the word volume pass catcher because he's he's going to get more. He's third and down. He's going to be great. He's going to sure. you know, bang the out cuts, the post curls. He's a great route runner. Knows how to get open against the zone. He's just not a guy that's going to run. You know, catch four balls for 150 yards against Alabama. But but mm-hmm. that's okay. You're not recruiting him to do that. So the the other question um, by uh, by Gregory and this is completely different. Um, do you have an opinion on the new offensive line uh, assistant coach? I do not. I don't know a lot about him. I know he came from, I believe, the University of Richmond. So it just looks like a you know a normal GA type right. of hire, younger guy that's up and sure. coming in the in the profession. So I, I don't know a lot about him. I don't have an opinion on it one way or the other, other than this is just a, a traditional GA hire as opposed to Chris Chris Watts' situation was unique. That was, and unique. it is unfortunate they couldn't keep him for more than a year, but. Uh, that's that's just kind of how it goes when you do a great job and you've got Harry Heastand pushing for you. You're going to sure. get hired pretty quickly. Okay, so 
We've got a lot of draft questions in the queue over here that I'm seeing. And so mm-hmm. I want to start off with, look, it, it's, got, it's, it's a big deal. Notre Dame didn't have anybody in the first round for the second time in two years. First time Is, Brian Kelly's tenure that's happened. Right. So do you have a take on that? Is that a big deal for you? Is that even something that we need to be talking about? I mean, you know, the frustrating thing about this conversation, Vince, is it's already kind of the spin machine on both sides of this are already in full effect. And and that's what gets so frustrating with with sometimes having these conversations, especially on social media, because it's just, you know, the, the, the people who are, if you want to call them to use a negative connotation, the homers, right? It's it's well, you know, it just says a lot about how great of a coach Brian Kelly is that they're winning without first rounders. And okay, that there's some level of you know that validity to that, although it's that's a really bad way of justifying it because now you're like, it's almost like, well, they win in spite of the players. That's how brilliant Brian Kelly is. That's nonsense. And then it's the this is an example of how Brian Kelly doesn't develop players. Well, if they don't develop players, then why do they keep winning? You, you know, it's yeah. like. That's what the negative people are saying. Sure. And it's just like, okay, can we just have an honest conversation about this? Right. With Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, there's there's reasons that he fell. And it has nothing to do with Brian Kelly being a bad or great coach. And him being a great player isn't anything about him being a Brian Kelly being a bad or great coach because Brian Kelly and his staff didn't pay Jeremiah Wusukoromoa any attention until Mike Elko and Clark Lee got hired. They're the reasons Jeremiah Wusu is a sure. name and they developed him. You know, so it's, it's you know, but at the same time, you know, he hired those guys and, and that's where he is. I sure. just get so tired of the every situation gets turned into some, the Kelly apologists have to jump in on the yep. spin machine and then the negative people have to like hype it up. It, look, it, it is what it is. I mean, Ohio State had one guy get picked last night. That's not normal for Ohio State. Well, sure. why? Because a lot of their best players came back. Notre Dame's best draft prospect, and I think anybody believes this, is a, you know, their two best draft picks, I think you could argue. We're a true freshman and a true sophomore last year. They're back at right. Notre Dame next year. Sure. So I just get tired of it. Like I, I stated a fact last night. Like, look, Northwestern had more first-round picks. Northwestern and Virginia Tech had more first-round picks in Notre Dame. That's not a great look, right? And then, of course, it's the spin machine. Well, they had more in Georgia. I don't, I don't cover Georgia. I don't cover Ohio State. I don't cover – I cover Notre Dame, you know. But uh, it, it just gets frustrating. You can't state a fact – without people, you know, people who dislike Kelly jumping on it, people who, who dislike him jumping on it. So now that that tangent's over, I, I think it is concerning that Liam Meikenberg d- fell. Yeah. Because especially since there wasn't, like, a lot of offensive linemen taken. There's like, four or five. USC had a guy taken before him. And and, and to me, that's that says that – I thought that, that was a con- reach. That, uh, that time. It was going to happen. I actually picked – I actually projected in my – I had – 13, right, either to the team or the spot, I projected Elijah Vera Tucker to um, that spot because it was just kind of like that's just the kind of reach that you expect at that point in time. You you know what I mean? It's just like – and then for the – Well, the fact that it was the the Raiders that did it. Well, no, the Raiders got Leatherwood, right? That – Oh, that's true. I'm it sorry. It was the Jets that Which, traded up to get him. Yeah, now, I didn't have right. him going to the right team, but I had him going to the right spot. Yeah. And it's like – but I, it's just funny how these guys kind of build these dr- – and maybe it's just me, and I don't – I need to watch more of him. I liked him coming out of high school, but Notre Dame destroyed him two years ago. I mean, just crushed him. Yeah. And then he didn't – you know, just – I don't know. I He didn't really blow me away this year. And I always get real nervous about, about Pac-12 offensive linemen. Because that mm-hmm. league is so bad, there's just no right. good defense, right? And uh, I, I get a little nervous about that. But 
you know, I think it's it's a it's it is a sign that this is kind of the post Harry Heastan era is in full effect. And it's not just about the coaching and development. It's also about the fact that, you know, when Jeff Quinn t- tells an NFL scout or Brian Kelly tells an NFL scout, hey, this guy's a first round pick, that's going to carry a certain amount of weight. But then when you look at when Harry Heastan makes that phone call, because Harry Heastan coached in the NFL. Right. That's the thing. They know him. They've worked with him. They've seen him, you know, with what he did with the Bears, and, and he's got a, a history and tradition of being a great O-line coach. Sure. It's going to carry more weight. That's that's not necessarily a thing you say, well, Jeff Quinn sucks. That's not what I'm saying. It's just right. that's – that's look, no, guys that are coached by certain people are going to get the benefit of the doubt. Yep. yep. Guys that are coached by Nick Saban are going to get the benefit of the doubt. And that's why we see a lot of guys from Alabama going in the first round every year. And if you if you're really honest about it, a lot of them don't pan out and play like first round picks. That's just a fact, right? Uh, so anyway, that's kind of where I'm at with this. Is yeah, it's disappointing. I don't think it's good for no. I don't think it hurts Notre Dame a ton, but it doesn't help them either. And, sure. and it could have helped them if they could have produced a couple first round picks. Now let's see how many they get in round two tonight. You know, I, I, we have some a mock draft thing or an article at oursbreakdown.com where. There's a couple mock drafters. They do these day two mock drafts that have the Bills taking Tommy Tremble late in round two. So if Notre Dame has a bunch of guys taken tonight in round two and then in round three, that's still something you can spin positively, right? Yeah. I mean, if they get three linemen taken tonight, let's say Eichenberg goes early in the second round, Hainsey gets picked tonight, Banks gets picked tonight, that's still something you can – look, we had three starters get picked in the first two, three rounds. That's not like 2015 when you had three going round one. But it's still pretty good, and yeah, you know Notre sure. Dame will still be able to use that. It won't hurt them too much. But, yeah, it, if those guys keep falling, then, yeah, other teams are going to be able to, to say to Notre Dame offensive lineman, hey, look, the reality is O-line you, that was when Harry Heastan was here. He ain't here right. anymore. And and we're still producing those high picks. And so, yeah, it's, it's going to be used against them. I just don't know how, how effective it's going to be. Okay. We got a lot of Jeremiah Wusikormoa questions. So I'm basically going to ask a blanket question to you. Mm-hmm. excuse me, that kind of encompasses all the questions, and I'll throw them up as you're talking, if that makes sense. Nice mug, Mm -hmm. by the way. Um, Yeah, my wife got this for me. She's like, it's draft time. I was like, yeah. great. That's a good point. Uh, So, Jeremiah Usukormo drops out of the first round. He's in the second round. You already intimated that there's reasons that he dropped. I know you're probably not going to get into it specifically. I mean, some of them. I mean, I don't think okay. he had a blowaway pro day. Okay, I, so you know, there, there talk about that. Yeah. Who, who, where you think he might fit in the second round. So I will yeah, start so throwing up questions as you talk. I think one thing that hurt him is the fact of the positionless nature of, of what he's done at Notre Dame. I mean, I think that has to be considered. And and I wrote about this beforehand. I did, I did not think he was going to fall in the first round. I thought the positionless thing would have resulted in him going in the twenties when he maybe should have gone in the top in the, in the top 20. Right, right, right. And so I think that that like, like this is what Dylan Bennett is saying. So yeah, I, I don't know if it's about adapting to the new trend of the hybrid player. Cause I think NFL teams are using those players. I think there's a difference between using that guy to be a hybrid player and then drafting <laughs> someone in the first round to be that. And that's what we have to understand is teams are willing to, to play different guys and they play safeties in sort of a linebacker role and corners in a nickel role and things like that. But are you going to draft a guy? Are you going to convince yourself to draft a guy that's more of a a hybrid type of player? That's where you start seeing people aren't quite willing to maybe make that. But I think there's other reasons for it. He's not as big as like Isaiah Simmons was like 6'4", 236, right? Right? Yeah, At the combine right. last year. Jeremiah's a little undersized. The fact that he didn't run a 40 at the pro day, I'm told, 
some people didn't like and that they said it was a hamstring injury, but then he went out and did everything else. It's like, well, if you've got a hamstring injury, why are you doing all this other stuff? So I think there's some questions and some concerns there. And his, his pro day performance didn't knock people's socks off. You know, sure. there was a couple times when, when he messed up a drill and he just said, ah, forget it. I'm not going to do it. I mean, I think little things like that can be the result of you going 20th or going 35th. Uh, you know, especially in a draft draft like this, where I've I felt this is not a super top heavy draft. I think there's players you could get at 35 that are as good as the guy you could have got at 12, yeah. and we we saw that especially with Lyman. Yep. But yep. when it is a deep draft like it is, th- then then some teams are going to have a guy first on their board. Some teams are going to have a guy fifth on their board. And I think when you look at the linebackers that were taken last night, they were all 230, 240 plus. Yeah. So I think that leads to what some of these guys were saying that that. He is a hybrid player, not just in how you use him, but but how his body type. Yeah, so I think and all those listed, little things yeah. kind of stack up. He's listed at two twenty one, right, Vince? And, and he was listed as an inside linebacker play. too, yeah. which I thought was interesting because yeah. I I don't know that I see him playing on the inside at the mm-hmm. NFL level. No, he's going to um, have to play outside the box. That's that's what I was thinking too. But he was rated as the number one inside linebacker, which right. I thought was interesting. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, all right. There, there was another oh, – uh, oh, go ahead. The, go the other ahead. part of that was teams that could take him. He, here's yes. the thing I looked at. I, I, I mean, <laughs> maybe the Eagles at 37, you know, maybe the Panthers at 39, the Broncos at 40 need a linebacker. I think the the um, the Giants at 42 could maybe look at him. So that's like the ninth pick. So I, I look at the first four, you know, ten teams. They're, they're, I don't know if any of those teams necessarily have linebacker as their number one need other than maybe the Broncos. So it, how soon he gets picked? So like I've seen people project him. I saw in the article we have at irishbreakdown.com, and so there was a couple people that had him go into the Jaguars at 33. Yeah. The Jaguars don't necessarily need him. So how quickly he goes is going to be determined by whether or not teams are going to say, hey, look, yes, he's not, the linebacker's not our number one need. Maybe it's our fourth best, biggest need. But, you but go he's by far player. the best player on the board. Right, exactly. It depends right. on your, what your draft the, strategy is. Yeah. The other thing is – we, we've seen it in the past where a, a lot of teams will trade into that top four or five picks of the second round because they sure. identified someone that they want. You know, maybe a team like, uh, you know, like the Raiders or maybe a team like the Dolphins, some of these teams. And the Dolphins picked 36, and there were some rumblings that he would – there was a couple people that mocked him to go to the Dolphins at 18 in, in, in draft. So maybe the Dolphins there at that fourth pick look at him. Uh, but, you know, they they addressed some needs last night. So I, I think it's going to be either somebody early looks at best player available or somebody jumps up into that but if, if well, yeah he, he could slide i mean that's the thing is he could slide well and it's always interesting to see what teams do after they've had a night to think about it mm-hmm. uh, you know a night and a whole day because they're like okay mm-hmm. which guys fell out of the first round that we thought wouldn't even be right. available on day two and how they react to that you know right so you're right you will see some people jump into that top four top five area to take those guys that they didn't think right. they were going to be able to get in the first place right, right. so and there, there might have been some teams that that took a guy late in the first round that that you know we didn't really have this position tabbed as a need, but this guy was, this guy was too good to pass up. And now those teams may be looking to jump up into early round two to to fill a need. Sure, absolutely. So that's what's always kind of fun about the and this is why again this is why I love the draft because I love the nature of I I didn't think I would like it the 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 because I used to love it when it's just one day. I mean, that was like nerd day for me, man. I loved it. And, and I didn't think I was going to like that they're doing it. But now I do because, like, of what you just said, they get a whole night to think about. They can reshuffle right. their draft board. They can right. make phone calls. They can do all this stuff. a lot of really it good players, It makes it a man. lot more fun, yeah. man. I didn't think it would because, you know me, Vince, I don't like change. 
But I, no. I really like it now that it's spread out over sure. a few days. Absolutely. Mark's jumping in with the super chat. Thanks, Mark. We really appreciate it. Um, what would you consider the biggest difference between Harry and Jeff as O-line coaches? Yeah. More importantly, can Je what can he do to close the gap, in your opinion? I'm curious to hear your opinion on this too, Vince, but I'll, I'll offer mine first. Okay. And, and number one, Mark, is I think that Harry was a more uh, – the, the, the line was more physical under Harry Heastan. Yep. I don't think it's a coincidence that Notre Dame was not a very physical offensive line in 18 and 19. Then all of a sudden, Chris Watt shows up in the same dude, same lineman, but all of a sudden now the they're same. a much more physical group. I don't think right. that's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that, that you know, I'm hearing some of the things from different sources about how, you know, that's part of the reason the freshmen are looking so good is because the older players are not being coached to be that physical because they didn't have the Harry Heastan influence. Like, Sure. Liam Eikenberg and Robert Hainsey and Tommy Kramer and even to a degree uh, Aaron Banks had because they all played under Harry for at least a year. Eikenberg for two. But I think that that Harry was a more physical coach. I think Harry was a coach that there was a greater sense of accountability under him. There was a standard that was set. And if you look at the things that, that Robert Hainsey and Liam Eikenberg and those guys did as leaders, that was something that was established back when Harry Heastan was coach. You know, I was, was told a story by an offensive lineman who's no longer at Notre Dame where you know, it's kind of like he showed up and uh, didn't have the right outfit on. And so Coach Eastan made him go back to the dorm and put the right outfit on because it's, it was established. There's a standard here. And, and sure. I don't think Coach Quinn demands that same level of accountability. And I also sure. don't think he's as good of a technical coach in every that's, facet of the game. That's where I was going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Explain Man. that, Vince, because because, I mean, you see it on film and, and look, read, look. If you don't want to believe us, if you think we're just being negative or critical because we didn't like the hire to begin with, go read the criticisms from NFL analysts about Liam Eikenberg and Robert Hainsey and Aaron Banks. And a lot of them, with the exception of Hainsey, actually, but even there, there's still some issues, but I think those are more his body related. But with Eikenberg and with Kramer and with Banks, you're going to read a lot of things about their technique isn't very advanced. Yeah. And it's and it's kind of they have like one move in the past game, and that's the criticism of them. That was not technique was never a criticism of Notre Dame linemen coming out when they played for Harry Heastan. That's just a fact. Yeah, no, and I, it, it that that's where I was going. I was going to go with it because I, I agree with everything that you said, but I was going to add on the technician part of it. Mm -hmm. that the linemen, what people don't understand is is offensive line play. Um, there, you know, it's very technical. It's mm -hmm. very technical. It's not just throw a fat guy out there and get in somebody's way. You know what I mean? I mean, they're you're looking at footwork, you're looking at hand placement, you're looking at all these different things and it all goes into the run game. It all goes into the pass game. And I, I will say that, um, you know, Qu coach Quinn does, does a good, a better job with, with pass blocking. Mm -hmm. um, but the run blocking is, is, is lacking. And that there's a lot of technique involved with that. And it's a lot of aggression, uh, aggressive tendencies involved with that. And, you just you don't see it, and I will say right. another issue that I see, and it's not necessarily Jeff Quinn's fault. Um, he doesn't have the reputation of Harry Heastan. Yes, he, that, and, and that, that that can be a difference. Yes. That can hurt him, and I I don't know that he can change that. He can change it by producing high level guys and sending them to the NFL and and creating that and then having them have success. Because here's the thing: Correct. the reason that Notre Dame kept having linemen drafted was not because another guy got picked in the first round. It was that they went to the NFL and performed. Sure. This is the thing. Absolutely. Ronnie Stanley's an, an all-pro. Zach Martin was the best NFL guard in the NFL until Quentin Nelson came along. Right. You know, Mike McGlinchey had a down 
you know, year this past year, he had a down, was it, this is his third year in the NFL. He had a bit of a step back this year, but you know, Nick Martin hasn't been great, but he was at least solid. But those guys, and you look what Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer have done, you know, where they've kind of went from undrafted free agents to now they're starting for the Bears, and and I think Bars especially performed pretty well. So it's not sure. just that they're first round picks; is that they go to the NFL and they perform, and you know, right. and you also know that those guys know how to be coached hard. That's something the line coaches like too. This I know Harry. So I know that this kid sure takes hard coaching. Yeah, so I think that's part of it, though, right? Going to play mean, for Harry Heastan. That, that's part of it. And right now, you know, Jeff Quinn is doing a decent job on the recruiting trail, but I think it can be better. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right; some of those guys need to pan out in the NFL. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's an opportunity here for the guys that are in this current draft. Now they still have the Harry Heastan fingerprint on them, so he's not completely Especially away Hainsey. from that group. Yeah. yeah. So, but those the guys that are in the draft right now, if they go on and succeed, that will help Jeff Quinn. Yes. Yes. Absolutely, it will. But yes. then this next wave of guys, right, is really going to tell the tale. Right. And so it takes and that time. Takes to time. That. Right. That's, yeah. You said it at the same time. Great minds, yeah. I think, think like <laughs> that, or you have something to worry about because you're thinking the same thing I'm thinking. But yeah, <laughs> right. uh, that that is the timing. It's going to take yes. time. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's talk a little blue gold game here uh, in uh, the press conference. Uh, Coach Kelly said no red jersey for uh, for Buckner, and and he says it's heartwarming. No need to take away half of his gameplay like they did at the particular former quarterback. Now, I'm on the fence as to whether this is great or not and whether they're actually going to allow him to play or not. Just because he's not wearing a red jersey doesn't mean there's not going to be a quick whistle. Um so I guess it's kind of I'll believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a situation. And I, I do like the fact that they're uh, trying to allow him to get used to playing football again. Let's just assume, Vince, for a second that they allow him to play for part of it. Because I think he did say that it's going to be no red jersey for part of the game. Yeah, half the Correct? game, he said. Yeah, I believe that was half. So let's right. just assume that in that half of the game, there's no red shirt and they say he can be tackled. So what are your thoughts then? I'm okay with it, to be honest with you. I mean, you're you're – that also tells me he's in no contention to start um, because they would be worried about him getting hurt. I, that's how I feel. I, yeah, see, I kind of think the opposite. I, really? I, the reason I think the opposite is because <clears throat> the reason you're not putting the red jersey on him, and I actually like this decision personally. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would like it if I was a quarterback. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. But but to the point that, that Tommy's making is that's that's something that hurt Phil Dracovic at two-year couple years Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. Is – a big part of Phil Dracovic's game is his ability to – I mean, watch him play last year, his first year as a starter. I mean, there were so many times that it looked like, oh, he's going to get sacked. Oh, no, he's out of the pocket. Oh, he just threw a ball 60 yards down the field. Oh, right. look, complete. That's why Boston well, that's College has gone. success. Yeah, right, that's I mean, gone in the blue-gold game because yeah. he wasn't allowed to do that. And then he was also with the second offensive line going against the first-team defense, which also hurt. But, you know, I think to me, I think it says that, hey, they really want to see what Tyler can do because – and this is something I really like, and, and I, I'll be willing to bet you that this is this is more of a Tommy Reese decision than it is a Brian Kelly decision because how can you really know what Tyler Buckner can sure. do if you can't let him play football the way he needs to play football? You need and to so, see his whole game. Yes. Yeah. If, if you were not thinking that maybe this kid could go into the fall in battle, then I think you'd be more willing to protect him because his, his making up the lost year would come in the fall as the redshirt guy. So I think the fact that they are taking the jersey off tells me that he's done enough this spring to say, let's see what Tyler can do playing his game because we think 
he's he needs that because again if you if you take the 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 red, keep the red jersey on then you're handicapping him in the battle with Tyler Buck with uh, Drew Pine and Jack Cohn because there's there's they're just going to because they're veterans and then with Drew Pine his style of play they're going to be mm-hmm. more comfortable just sitting in the pocket and processing information than Tyler Buckner who's played one year football in three years and has been on campus for now fourteen practices sure the thing he can do to to, to close the gap is that he is by far the most dynamic playmaker at the position as a runner and thrower. That's and fair. this gives him an opportunity to play his game. And I don't think they do that if they didn't look at him as, you know what, a big offseason. And this kid could, even if it's not competing to start, Vince, maybe it's what you and I talked about at the very beginning, which yeah. is even if he's not starting because I don't want him to start in 2021, this gives him an opportunity at least to establish a role where you can put him in every now and then as a changeup. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That maybe could be where this could lead to if he goes out there and makes a ton of plays. Because if he makes a bunch of plays with his legs, how do you justify not putting him on the field? Yeah. No, you're right. And I I do like that. If there, If this is... I guess I'm always skeptical. I guess that's my issue. I I, I have a you skeptical around me too long. What? Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm skeptical that they're really going to allow him to play football. I, yeah. I if they do, I love yeah. it. I, I do. Yeah. If they do, I, I love it. I get I that. I get that. I'm just for for me for the point of the sake of discussion. I'm just assuming that they're going to let him play. And if they don't, we can evaluate it then. But but Fair I definitely understand where you're coming from. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Blue Gold Game question here. Which game format do you prefer? 1v1s, 1v2s, or mixed versus mixed? Do you have an opinion on that, Vince? I do have an opinion on it. Um, I would prefer 1v1s uh, from a talent. There's there's no sense in stacking the deck. I, I mean, they're twos for a reason. They shouldn't necessarily be going up against the ones. It's not. I like one v ones personally, and then two v twos, etc. I will say I can be swayed to the mixed 
Um, you know, if they did like a, like a draft and they drafted guys and had some fun with it like that, because it is really just a glorified practice. Um, mm-hmm. I would not have a problem with that. I think it might spice things up a little bit just for fun. Um, but in the format that they use right now, one V ones. I think it depends on the team. I think every team is different. And I think there are years where it needs to be ones, one V ones last year, last spring, if they had a blue gold game, it would have absolutely needed to be ones versus ones. Cause you pretty much knew on almost every spot who was going to start. I mean, you sure. had five sure. returning offensive line starters, returning quarterback, you know, those types of things. Defensive line was pretty set. You, you know, I want to see ones versus ones. I want to see the, the these guys battle. This is a year where I feel like because the offense is, is behind in some ways with the defense, I'm okay if they want to go ones versus twos. Because And also, especially if there's a lot of positions where you don't really know where who's going to start, you, you know, I – I want to see certain guys get opportunities for success. And I think that sometimes okay. you have to look at it and say, look, we've had a lot of, we've got our butts whooped quite a bit this spring. Let's, let's set up this opportunity for us, for our offensive guys to finish the spring off in a, in a positive way and getting blitzed every down from the starting defense that, that returns a bunch of guys that have played a lot of football is not necessarily, you know, we, we threw Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler to the fire all spring. Let's sure. give them a chance to kind of maybe end the spring on a positive note. So I could see exactly some of that, that. but exactly in, 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 that. everything in a perfect world, I'd like ones versus ones, but I do think that it, you have to, it's like with anything that you have to read your team, you know, and, and, and I know you as a coach, I know there's years that you probably did things as an offensive coordinator that you wouldn't have done in past years because that's just what your team needed at that time. And, yeah. and so I think that would be my, my, uh, my takeaway from that. That's fair. No, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, sometimes you want guys to have success and, Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to manufacture that a little bit, and yeah. it pays dividends down the road. I, I, I get where you're coming from. Uh, Shannon's got a question about the wind tomorrow, which, by the way, not looking forward to since I have two baseball games. But anyway, uh, hey, guys, I see that it's supposed to be super windy tomorrow for the game. Do you think this affects the game plan at all? Maybe shorter passes, or does the wind really only affect the kicking game? I, first of all, the game plan is different than a game plan for a regular game. Right. I mean, they're going to have a script and they're pretty much going to stick to the script the entire game. Um, it's going to be well thought out that they're going to play. They're going to do what they want to do. And I don't think the conditions have anything to do with it personally. Mm-hmm. For for a blue gold game, I would agree. And sometimes, honestly, I think a blue gold game is, I you know, if we were going to call some deep balls, I definitely want to know. I definitely want to make sure that you stick with those in a blue gold yes. game because I need to find out which of my quarterbacks or if any of my quarterbacks has the arm to throw in that. Because, look, there's going to be times in the fall where it's going to be windy, and you have to know, can my guys make throws down the field in those situations, or do we have to game plan accordingly? So you game plan now in a way that you test the win so that you know what you need to do or what you can't do when you get in the fall and you get in those situations. Because, look, you play in South Bend, Indiana in October, November, there's going to be times when it's going to be windy. Right, and, and this is a great time to find out what your guys can do because if your quarterback throws a wounded duck because he doesn't have the arm to get in the, in, into the wind, now you know. Now you know, yeah. right? Or he can then work on okay, I need to make sure that I change my grip this way, and I need to make sure that the nose is down, or you know, or whatever the case may be. And and so I think it's a good time to to find out those things. And then who who can who can evaluate who can judge the football effectively right. in a windy condition at receiver? Absolutely, is another yeah. part of it. Yeah, good call there. Uh, let's see here. We've got a, uh, oh, Shannon's got a hypothetical for us here. If you guys got to choose the first post route or fly pattern to a wide out tomorrow, who's throwing the pass and who you throwing it to? 
I don't care who's thrown the pass. I mean, I, I would like to see a bomb on tomorrow. I would like to see just a one-on-one straight go way. route. If they go, if they go cover one or cover three on the first play, I'm dropping back and I'm throwing the ball outside. I'm getting my eyes right on the free safety. I'm locking him or sending him to one side and throwing the opposite side. I don't care which quarterback throws it. I, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of like the idea of of getting Brain Lindsay going early or going to Lindsay's going that was early. Be my answer, going uh, to Lindsay. Yeah, what I want. The other one would be is to to throw a bomb to Michael Mayer and just say, "Hey, it's our best player," and we're in, in teams <laughs> that that watched us use him on short to intermediate routes last year. Better be prepared for us to to use him everywhere this year. So, those would be my either Lindsay or or Mayer would be my two my two options. All right, counseling time, Brian. Chief Brody, one of my biggest fears for this season is being stunned at home by UNC, which serves as their coming out party to elite status, similar to Clemson in 2015. Reasonable fear? So is it a reasonable fear that Notre Dame could lose to North Carolina this year? Yes, that is a reasonable fear. They have one of the better quarterbacks in the country. They have a very good system. Uh, I think that that even though they lost some very important players, they lost Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Deami Brown, Daz Newsome, Bo Corrales comes back from injury. Uh, they had a couple freshmen that were really productive last mm-hmm. year at wide receiver. They got a bunch of playing time. Ty Chandler transferred in from Tennessee at running back. He's going to be a good running back. And that's a scheme-driven running game anyway. Right. You don't necessarily need a Javante Williams or Michael Carter to be a great running back, although it certainly helps. But, yeah, that's a reasonable fear. Do I think it's reasonable to think that this is going to be their clump coming out as a national power? That's, that's not one that I necessarily uh, am concerned about because I still think North Carolina is a couple years away when – when Clemson did that in 2015, you got to go look at their roster. There's a lot of NFL dudes on that roster everywhere. Sure. This team doesn't have a, you know, this Carolina team doesn't have a Shaq Lawson. You know, they don't have a, a TJ Green at free safety who's going to be a second round pick. They don't have a McKenzie Alexander who I think was a first or second round pick at corner. They they just don't have the depth of talent across the board, especially on defense that that Clemson team had. However, However. If they are able to beat Notre Dame and have a 10-win season next year, it is going to then allow them to even continue recruiting even better, which could lead to that success down the road. Sure. But it's not like in 2015. Because in 2015, Clemson beat, Alabama, beat Clemson beat Notre Dame and then ultimately went and played for national championship and then the next year won the title. That's not where North Carolina is right, right now. I agree. Here's one that I actually asked you or I sent your way. This It was either this morning or last night. I can't remember all the hours run together. But four horsemen, do you think Buffalo will look at Brian Pullian for head coach? Pete Thamel had a list of names today, and Brian Pullian's name was not on it. Interesting. I would hope that that would change. You know, Again, that's just him. You and I have out. talked about this job in the past yes. uh, concerning Brian Pullian. You know, and, and I'm curious if his, you know, his dad is was a longtime GM of the Bills. Is there any sway there? Does Brian Pullian even want to be a head coach anymore? I, I would imagine so. He interviewed sure. for the BG job a couple of years ago, so I'd imagine he still does. But I haven't heard his name for it. But I, I don't think, you know, looking at who the names are on day one is always the best idea because there's always people feeding reporters, sure. you know, their agenda, the agent saying, "Hey, my guy," or yeah, you know, maybe it's absolutely. someone else saying, "Hey, this is who we'd like to have." But that's when not it's such always an odd true. time. It's an odd, yeah. it's such an odd time to be looking for a head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the timing is very interesting. Yeah. I will say, well, it's uh, a very unique circumstance because of how the firing of Les Miles went down from a timing standpoint. It wasn't like an after true. the season firing. It was that's true. Much much later in the process, and and a lot of coaches rightfully said, "Yeah, I'm not leaving my team right in the middle of spring ball." So, 
Absolutely. Uh, Quentin Nelson question here from Christopher. Do you, uh, what do you think of the talk of the Colts moving uh, Q to left tackle? I have two different thoughts on it. Could Quentin Nelson move to left tackle and be successful? Absolutely. I think Quentin Nelson could be an all pro at left tackle. My concern, however, is that will he be a Hall of Fame gold jacket tackle? That I don't know. But he is that at guard. Yeah, and, right. And that's the question you have to ask is, are you better off with Quentin Nelson at left tackle, who's still really good but not the sure. best in the game at left tackle? And maybe he is. I don't know. I just You don't know that, though. That's the point. You, there's that risk. Are you better off by – let's say they – let's put it use Notre Dame terms, right? Are they better off drafting Aaron Banks and putting him at left guard and then moving Aaron, Quentin Nelson to left tackle? Or are they better off keeping Quentin Nelson at left guard and then drafting Liam Eikenberg at left tackle? That's sure. what you have to ask yourself. Right. You know, that kind of player. And for me, I want to leave him at guard where he's an elite player. Absolutely. As opposed to moving to tackle. Having said that, if they moved him to tackle, would I be shocked if Quentin Nelson's an all-pro next year at tackle? No, I would not. And if you're Quentin Nelson, it might be a good idea because tackles make more than guards. No. Good point. They do. Left tackles point. make more than guards. I yeah, mean, guards are making a lot more money nowadays, and he will get the most – as long as he stays healthy, he will get the biggest guard contract in, in NFL history. But if he wants an extra five to ten million dollars, and you know maybe going out and being an all-pro at left tackle might help with that. Yeah. Christopher wants to know uh, how you compare JOK to Darius Leonard. I didn't watch Darius Leonard a lot in high school. I mean, in college, to be completely honest with you. So I, I don't know if I could really compare them. I, I viewed Darius Leonard. You know, again, I, I don't know if I watch enough NFL to really have a strong opinion on this. If I. If I'm correct, isn't Darius Leonard kind of a, 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 a impact pass rusher? Doesn't he kind of get after the after the quarterback a little bit, Vince? I, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. So, and, and I just I don't think that's necessarily what what Jeremiah Wusu Kormo is. I'm looking at Darius Leonard last year. Did he opt out last year or something? Because I'm not seeing his stats last season. Was he I hurt? Could not tell you. Okay, so I, again, I just don't know if I know enough about Darius Leonard's game to be able to say, yes, he is that kind of player. Okay, Darius Leonard had five sacks, so it looks like nine half tackles for loss, seven pass defense, five INT. So it doesn't look like he's a pass rusher. It looks like he does do a lot of dropping in coverage. I just am not familiar enough with his game to be sure. able to say yes sense. or no. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Used. Uh, Liam Gaming has a good question here. Does tempo also help? An inexperienced offensive line. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> explain why. Explain well, why. It, 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 it I helps. agree with you, but let's ex explain why. Well, yeah. I mean, number one, it helps because the defense can't sub. So, And where do you want to sub the most is your defensive line. So now you're going to be working against guys that are tired, which is, which is great, right? Um, and then you're also, if you're speeding things up, you're taking the thinking out of it for the defensive side, and they're not able to – be as explosive as they want to be uh, against an, an offense that's moving as fast. Mm -hmm. So when when the offense has that kind of an advantage, that's an advantage for the O-line. And that means if you're going in tempo, that means the quarterback is also getting the ball out faster for mm -hmm. the most part, right? Um, and so when that's happening, the offensive line doesn't have to perform as long, right? So all of those things, I think, help an, an inexperienced offensive line. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think also by going tempo, you have to you have to simplify things. You, yes. you have to. You can't right. not. You have to have fewer offense. And what point. I mean by fewer offense is like, look, I can take twenty-seven different pass combinations into a game, or I can take fifteen. 
I can, or I can take eight and I do it out of 25 different formations. Well, all those different formations does not, that does not affect the offensive line hardly at all. They have to know if there's an attached offensive lineman or attached defensive lineman. Sure. But, or I mean, excuse me, tight end, they have to know if there's an attached tight end or not, but it doesn't affect them the same way that it does um, other positions. So you can, if you're doing more of it that way, which a lot of teams that are doing tempo will do that, then again, you're simplifying things for them. And that ultimately is, is the goal and the objective. Sorry, Vince, I got a little distracted. There was a comment about how the, the, uh, on the website, the, the defensive podcast was actually the offensive podcast. So that has now been corrected. So see, look at me multitasking. I know I'm like ineffectively. You're hilarious. Um, All right. Um, here, here's, okay. Here's one about our, our buddy, Tommy Reese. Uh, Ed wants to know, did Tommy Reese ever play in the blue gold game without a red jersey? Just no, curious. because he was a different – no, Well, that's that not, true too. Yeah, complete, it'd be stupid to have Tommy Reese yeah. play in it without, with a red jersey. And yeah. that's not a knock. I mean, that's a fair question, Ed. But for me, the reason they're doing it with Tyler Buckner is because his game is built around being able to run. Correct. This was a kid that ran for 1,600 yards and over 25 touchdowns on the ground as a junior in high school. That's a big part of his game. Tommy Reese's game was not about sitting in the pocket. That's why I'm not taking the red jersey off of Jack Cohn. I know that Jack Cohn can right. take a hit. And, I know and Drew Pine, can, too. I mean, right. same I know idea. they can do that. I need right. to see. I'm taking the red jersey off Tyler Buckner because I need to make sure that the referees don't have a quick whistle with him because he needs to be allowed to play his game. He needs to also, I think, for a quarterback mentally, not having the red jersey on is, is also more pressure for you because – if you have the red jersey on, hey, I'm, I can calmly step into the pocket here because I know they can't hit me. Sure. And you, you don't necessarily want him to have that. And so that's why Tommy Reese never didn't have the red jersey on. It, Tommy Reese should have always had the red jersey on. And, and look, yeah. let's also be honest. From the moment Tommy Reese took over, I don't think Tommy Reese was an early enrollee, was he? I don't, I don't believe know, that he was. It, no, they, they, I don't believe yeah. he was either. But back then they weren't allowed to have that many. Well, they they had they, they could had have couple, three. But yeah, they could right. have three a year. And I don't think he was one. Uh, so his first game action, the first time we saw him really play was on a, on a, in games, and we knew then that he could take a hit. So there, there was. it's not like he was, as a young quarterback, you need to find out if Tom Maurice could throw with guys in his face. He showed that as a true freshman on the field that he was willing to do that. So I don't, I don't think it would – just like I don't want to take the red jersey off Drew Pine or Jack Cohn, it's specifically to Tyler's skill set is why they're taking it off. That's a good question. It's just you – No, know, it's a great question. It, I, it's just that's why you, you, you haven't seen it. But that's why they should have also done it for Phil Jerkovic. Okay, so you, you walked right into what I was going to say. So Uh-oh. My, my question to you as a follow-up, do you think the Notre Dame football staff learned their lesson after watching how much Phil struggled in the blue-gold game because he did he had the red jersey on, had the quick whistles, et cetera? Do you think you know the, it, this is a, a reaction to that when, now that they've got a similar player? I, I have no idea. I would think no. Because okay. I don't think they view Phil and Tyler as similar players. I think they're similar in that they're dual threat guys. But Phil, Tyler, what makes Tyler unique, I, I don't view Tyler as having the physical talent that Phil had. What makes Tyler unique and why Tyler graded out with a very similar grade to Phil is that Tyler is more of a natural sit in the pocket and throw guy. Okay, And so I, I think they just view him as more of – look, I – I mean, Tommy Reese, when he coached Phil Dracovic, was in like what first, second year as a as an assistant coach. You know, I don't. I, I think maybe he, there's always things he's learning, 
right? Sure. So it, it could be that. Okay. But I don't want to presume to know. I think it's I more about just them looking at Tyler Buckner saying, how can we develop Tyler Buckner? And and, and that's what I like about it, Vince, because they're, they've got two veterans. It'd be very easy for them to say, look, we're not worried about Tyler right now. He'll get his shot next spring. Sure. And, and then you do it. So I, I like the fact that they're looking at this and saying, yeah, We've got a veteran quarterback in Jack Cohn. We've got Drew Pine, who I know that the staff is very high on, but at the same time, they're not just taking that for granted and saying, ah, well, we're about Tyler Buckner next year. They're working on putting him in situations where he can prove himself, which is what we've been saying we want to see from young players all the time. So I'm, okay. I'm happy about it. All right. K-Boss 005. With Notre Dame's Under Armour contract ending in the next couple of years, does Notre Dame jump ship and go with Nike? BC just got rid of Under Armour. I know most young athletes prefer Nike over any other brand. I hope not. I despise Nike as an organization and a company. That would frustrate me very, very much. I'd rather them go back to Adidas and those ugly clothes than to sign with Nike. I'd be very, very disappointed. Plus, Notre Dame prides itself on being different. Yep. And – and they'd be you in know, direct competition with Michigan if it was a Nike thing because yeah, that, that was the whole – The minute like, Notre Dame puts that stupid basketball thing yeah, on I'd be – I would have a huge no. problem with that yeah. too. I I, there's a, nothing about Nike that I would want at the University I, of Notre Dame. I don't see Notre Dame putting Jumpman on their jerseys. I don't know. I just don't see that. Now, I could be – I'm just talking out out of you yeah. know what I think. I just don't see them doing that. Alabama is so, a, a Nike school, and I believe they don't, they don't do have it. it on there. You're right; they don't. Still, the, I just I don't know, man. Clemson. I, I despise Nike in every single way, shape, form, or fashion as a company. Yes, they have cool gear, but I, uh, you know, and, and if if we're being honest, so, some of their takes during during this the last year from a social justice standpoint, I find pretty disgusting because when you know who, where their clothes are made. And how the people are treated in the places where their clothes are made, it's it's an incredibly hypocritical stance for them to take. Like, look, I'm all for trying to make life better for people. How about you start doing that for the people that you know the late, you know the look look at where some of your factories are in China. You, you know what I mean, and what's going on there. So I, I'm not trying to get into that too much. But the question was asked. That's why I really, in so many ways, despise Nike. I don't mind people taking sure. social justice stances. I. I think, I mean, look, our whole country was founded on a revolution against a tyrannical government, right? Sure. I'm all for that. But when you're going to say this and one thing because it's cool and you want to be hip, and you, but then at the same time, you're you're doing the things with your workers and other countries that Nike's doing and supporting countries that are doing things to their, their people like mm-hmm. China's doing, I, I don't want to hear what you have to say. So off, off the politics, back to sports. <laughs> Uh, Notre Dame, 2164. Uh, I assume he's talking about the wide receivers that are currently mm-hmm. on the roster, uh, but he wants to know which one has the highest ceiling, in your opinion. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, if healthy, it's it's still Kevin Austin, I yeah. believe, if he's yeah. healthy. I think after that, it's either Jordan Johnson or Deion Colsey. And I don't, I, I didn't grade Deion Colsey as high coming out of high school with some other people because – you know, I have the two grades, the current grade and the upside grade. I think Dion needs a lot of work. I think Dion is still pretty raw. But from a ceiling standpoint, Dion has an incredibly high ceiling. And and that's what I really like about him. So I'd, I'd probably go the, one of those three guys. With Kevin Austin, it's still – I say it kind of with like – because we don't know what kind we of player know. he's going to be. That broken foot just really you know, worries me. But if he's, if he's healthy and he's 100% healed and he gets all the speed and explosiveness back, I still say he has the highest ceiling of all the receivers because his combination of size, ball skills, athleticism, all that yeah. is is to me the best overall combination on the roster. 
So K-Boss actually had a second part of his question here. Mm -hmm. uh, if you could choose NBC's announcing crew for Notre Dame games, who would it be? I would choose Tariko and Joel Klatt if I could have anyone. Brian? Well, I kind of like the group they had last year. I loved it. I <laughs> Look, I, we don't get the opportunity to sit and watch games live and listen to the announcing crew very often. Um, we did last year, obviously. And I was conditioned to not listen to it because Doug Flew right. was so bad. So bad. But I absolutely loved it last year. I thought it was on point. I thought everything about it was, was absolutely fantastic. I have nothing against Drew Brees. Nothing. I think he's a good guy. I, I mean, I don't know how good of a, of a color guy he's going to be. Um, but I have a problem with them bringing him in just because of who, you know, I think they're breaking up a good pair. Yeah. Uh, well, and I don't I, think I don't, like I don't think what Dungey was ever meant to be long term, though. You're probably right about you, you that because he's more of an NFL guy anyway. I get it. But I get. It. I for me, so I, good. you know what I get tired of? I get tired of the whole. Well, we have to be unbiased. Well, okay. You don't think Brady Quinn could be unbiased? You don't think that Brady Quinn could provide you, you know some? Ryan Harris uh, is on the radio. Well, how, yeah. how unbiased do you need to be? Right. I mean, I just it's just like they're so afraid to have a Notre Dame guy on TV that it annoys me. Now, dumb. part of the reason it'll never be Joel Klatt is because Joel Klatt works for I believe Fox Sports, right? So, you know, you, you're not going to hire a guy from Fox Sports to do the Notre Dame games. It's just, that's just, uh, you know, unless they're willing to pay him a lot of money and NBC hasn't shown a necessary willingness to pay that guy a ton of money. Yeah. So I, you know, and even this Drew Brees thing, it's, it's meant, it's like they're using Notre Dame as the minor leagues. That's what bothers me because they've said all along he's going to do this and then eventually he's going to move to doing NFL games. Right. So it's like Notre Dame's football games have become like a, it's like uh, the South Bend uh, Cubs. Yeah, it's like okay, go practice with Notre Dame for a year, right? And then we're going to bring you up to the big leagues, and that ticks me off. I, I yeah, I kind of find that disrespectful. I, I'm curious what other people think. Is that just me being like you know ultra sensitive, or is you it being is, Homer boy? No, well, because like I I'm don't joking. care. I don't want look. I don't want an announcer that's a Homer. Yeah, I want a guy that's going to talk football and give analysis and teach people the game. That's why I loved Mike Mayock. I loved Mike Mayock. Now, yeah, yes, he was too. a little too Notre Dame critical at times, but that's okay. fine. But I'm fine having a Notre Dame guy in the booth. And I don't know why they're so against it, but the bigger problem for me is whoever you have, stop using the, you know, don't use the Notre Dame, the Notre Dame game as sort of your your JV for your NFL coverage. Yeah. That really bothers me. I agree completely. Um all right, we got a lot of comments here on on who should be in the booth, which I think is great. And so as we as we move through there, uh, I will I will put those up. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, do okay, here we go. Do opposing teams scout the blue gold game, and are they given film from the blue gold game? I would imagine the first team that they play, uh, which would be Florida State, will have a copy of the blue gold game. I mean, just the for, TV just copy. For, Yes, yeah. but but just for for personnel purposes, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, just to see, okay, you know, this kid's playing, this kid's playing. Not necessarily for scheme overall. I mean, there's other things you can look at for that. Uh, I don't know that I'd be looking at a scrimmage for that, but I would if I was the opposing team and I had Notre Dame first game of the season, I would watch the Blue Gold game for personnel right. to see how they play. I think it'd be foolish not to at least have your analysts go through the film. Right. And I think people will, yes. will do that. I think people will look at the film. They'll say, hey, look, what what what's what's uh, certain players looking like? You know, what's Foskey looking like? What's Jack Cohn looking right. like? What are the receivers looking like? And I think they're going to watch it even with a little bit more of a critical eye this year because 
what are some of the things Marcus Freeman's going to do? Absolutely. I think Pete. Yeah. I think anytime you can get a chance to see your opponents in action, you watch it. Yeah. If you're building your entire game plan around what Notre Dame does in a blue gold game, there you, you stink. Go. That's and a you're terrible. That's, a problem. Uh, that's definitely yeah. a problem. You're yes. a bad coach, and you don't know right. what you're doing. But right. if you're not looking at it and not taking getting some takeaways from it, then yeah, you're you're a you're not doing your job then either. So I, right. I think they'll watch it, they'll study it, but you have to understand what you're trying to get out of it. It's more about Correct. to your point, Vince. It's more about the personnel, right? And maybe some overall structures of what they're going to do offensively. Some philosophy it is to say this is what Tommy Reese likes to do on third down. Right. Right. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? Thank you. That's this is point. their red zone offense. This is <laughs> this is what they like to do on third and two or whatever. You're, right. you're not really studying it from that regard. Because you're going to read what Marcus. You're going to watch what Marcus Freeman did at Cincinnati last year. You're going to look at what Tommy exactly. Reese did in real games. Maybe watching a lot of Cincinnati film. Right. And there's going to be, for the first half of the season, opponents are going to be watching a lot of Cincinnati film until they get sure. an idea of what, mm -hmm. you know, Marcus Freeman's like in Notre Dame. So. Especially if they view some similarities between, if like they watch Notre Dame against Florida State and it's like, that's, they didn't do any of that stuff against Florida, against last year's. Then it's a little, right. Then, right. They'll, then they'll be less looking. But if there's going to be a lot of carryover, which I think there will be. Sure. Then, then you're, yeah, you're going to see a lot of that. And that's what analysts are for. That's what GAs are for. I Correct. mean, that's. You, There's only you, so much that's time why it's a, Yeah, and that's why right. it's important to hire good analysts. That's yes. why it's great having Kerry Cooks as an analyst because that's a guy that's been a co-D coordinator at Notre Dame. That's yeah. a guy that's coached at Oklahoma and, and, and Iowa and some good programs. Sure. you got that guy doing advanced scouting, right? great plus. And that's Absolutely. why it's when you see Nick Saban hire these former coaches and analysts, those are good. Those are big moves because when you're a D coordinator, because this is how it works, right? If I'm the offensive coordinator. I'm Tommy Reese I'm, or I'm – I'm with Tommy Reese. Okay, so we we come in on Sunday. We break down the film of the game we just played. We go through it. We grade it. We meet with our players. We watch film with our players. We do make our corrections. At least that's what a lot of teams do. Some will wait till Monday. But we do all that. And then once that's in the past, that night we're scouting our opponent. And we're starting to put the shell of what our game plan is going to look like. Okay, who are the top players that we need to get the ball sure. to? Who are their top players we need to get away from? If you have to, if you're not, and so this was the tough part about being it as a, a Division three coach, you either had to start watching the film late in the week, which I didn't like doing, because then it's like I get to Saturday and it's like, wait, did I see that coverage and the the game we just were this opponent or was it the team I'm sitting for next week? So then I would always spend all day Sunday after that just scouring and studying the opponent. Well, now you go after you're done grading the game you just played. Your analysts hand you all these printouts and all these sheets exactly. of here's, been their working on this all along. here's their personnel, here's the scouting report, here's this, here's that. And then you dive into the film, you kind of already have a baseline of what you're looking at. Correct. And that's why that stuff is so it's important. Like you've got it's a roadmap. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's perfect. Uh, Christopher wants to know what happens if Jordan Johnson gets little or no targets tomorrow. Heads explode. We start complaining. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It might have a greater message board impact than it does a practical <laughs> impact. Look, I don't know what Jordan Johnson's going to do. I don't know if if look. And, and here's the thing, we've seen Notre Dame's had 15 practice, 14 practices. Right. They've had, I would guess, on average, at least 200 plays per practice. We have never gotten more than 25 plays from one individual practice. We are usually at 15 to 20, and some of those are drills. Not even Correct. plays, not even Correct. actual snaps. So we're seeing less than ten percent, well less than ten percent yeah. of what Notre Dame is doing on a daily basis from a reps and evaluation process. So for all we know, Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts are catching fifteen balls a day. For all we know, 
For all we know, they could be with the third team every time. And, and that's the thing is why we shouldn't be making these big sweeping evaluations. I right. like watching practice film. I really like watching practice film. But if you're making your evaluation on who the starting quarterback should be from the practice film, I would encourage you to not do that. Um, <laughs> and I'd say that with everything, you know, and is there's a lot we're not seeing. Yeah. Imagine if you found out that Tommy Reese had uh, prior engagements every day during practice. So he'd watch the first 10 minutes of practice, and then he had to leave. And then he'd come back at the end, and that was what he did. And at the end of the spring, he made his decision on who starting quarterback was going to be based on right. that first 10 minutes of practice. Right. You'd be like, what? You're an Huge idiot. problem. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, so so let's not let's not get too worked up on that. And, and the reality is I don't know what Jordan Johnson's spring status has been like. I have my concerns, but it's more about concerns based on Brian Kelly's previous 11 years than it is right. necessarily because what I am or am not seeing in practice. Sure. No, makes uh, sense. In practice clips. So I would hope he gets targeted tomorrow because that would be a way to make sure that he's comfortable and he's going to stay and you right. can say, hey, you're our guy. But what if he gets targeted a lot and he's with the third team offense? Is that going to change his mind about whether he's going to stay or leave? Those are things we don't know. What if he's with the first team offense the whole time and only gets targeted once? There's just a lot that goes into that, and I just I, I would encourage people not to make sweeping conclusions about it. And we say that every year about the blue gold game, and there's still it's not gonna you know no one's gonna listen, but I still need to still need to say it. There's still gonna be people making big conclusions about oh know, there will be on Kaiser's I, ability to play because of what he did in the blue gold game or Phil Dracovic's yeah. skill because of what he did in the blue gold yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, I, I would caution people to take a breath. If he doesn't get all the targets that we want him to get in the game tomorrow, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what's going to happen in the fall, right? right? I mean, we and can if make he decides all the... to transfer, we can have that conversation then sure. about sure. whether or not it did or didn't impact it. Sure, absolutely. Uh, we got a recruiting question from Zach. He said, uh, "You've said in the past Cyrus Moss is an immediate take. Number one, how would you? Uh, how would he complement the current commits slash roster? And number two, where else on the defense?" Would that scholarship come from in your estimation? So it doesn't necessarily have to come from the defensive class. It could be that maybe there's a fifth-year senior you don't bring Correct. back. Correct. That's Correct. another way that you Somebody can that you put on injury yeah. reserve or whatever they yeah. call that. You know the, Right. Yeah. Right. It could come from linebacker. You Maybe you were taking five linebackers in this class, but you're like, nope, we're going to take Cyrus Moss instead because with Cyrus Moss, sure. he's so athletic that he could play like we're seeing with Jordan Batelho you could do some 3-3 three, three stack stuff and out of your 4-2 personnel with Cyrus Moss on the field, and you could still have you know, Tyson Ford and Darren Agu and Aiden Gabera, two of those three, also lined up at defensive end. I mean, you could literally go with a three-down look, a three-down defensive – You excuse me. If you had Cyrus Moss with Agu, Gabera, and Ford, you could literally line up with three defensive ends on the field in Marcus Freeman's defense logistically you could do that because you'd have Ford at one end, you could have Gabera and or Agu at the other end, and you could have Cyrus Moss as an off-ball linebacker. Yep. You could also do that with Darren Agu as the off-ball linebacker. The way that we've seen Marcus Freeman in limited clips use the four-down personnel, you could do that. So that's why I say you take him. Plus, it's just you figure that out. Someone's going to transfer in the spring. Someone's going to transfer in the summer. It happens every year. It happens right. at Notre Dame. It happens at Ohio State. Ohio State just lost a, a receiver, Jamison Williams, who's going to transfer, who played for them last year. You know, so everybody has transfers. Everybody loses guys. And sometimes that can be a negative because you didn't give a guy an opportunity. And sometimes that can be because you're so loaded as a position that a player that I like, for example, uh, 
Kendall Abdurama, it's a player I like. I think Kendall Abdurama could have played at Notre Dame. Yeah. Am I saying the staff dropped the ball with him? No, he just was buried behind a really sure. deep receiving core, and you only have so many reps that you can yep. give out. Yep, I agree. Okay, one more question before I'm going to bug out here, Brian, from Chief Brody. He says, which is more likely, the offense explodes and propels Notre Dame to a national title in 2021, or the wheels fall off and they go 8-4, and 7-5, and five or worse? I Let me jump in on this one. I think the talent on this roster will prevent them from doing anything like eight and four, seven and five. I, I just, I do not see that Especially happening with the current schedule. The schedule, I, I just can't concoct in my mind to see four, five, six losses for this team. I just mm-hmm. don't see it. Um, so you're giving me those two options. I can guess I'm taking the first one uh, with the offense exploding, et cetera. Um, I, I, I have a hard time finding two losses on this schedule. So, to, to wrap my mind around four or <laughs> yeah, five. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it's it. It's very difficult for me. Of course, me, I, so. didn't, I didn't see nine losses on the well, – eight losses on the 2016 schedule. So that's the to, to, to the point of the question, Vince, and yes. I agree with you. It would have to be – look, there, the talent – there's no Avery Sebastian lining up at safety this year. Right. 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 There, there were some personnel deficiencies in that on that 2016 sure. team at certain positions, and especially early in the year when, you know, Sean Crawford got hurt and – you know, there just was a lot of injuries on that team. It it made it even worse to to where it's like you say that that's not the issue here. If they if they have a collapse like that, then they they should be looking for a new head coach. Yeah, because that means he's allowed yes. the program to become infected yes. and the cancers to mes- metastasize. The only other exception would be just the most abnormal injury riddled yeah. season. Just ever. a crazy amount of just and that's not injuries. something you can control as a coach. Right, I mean, it, right. it is what it is. But no, I, I think what's more likely is that the offense explodes and propels Notre Dame to a national title. Am I predicting a national title in 2021? No, no, no me neither. I, I think they're probably a year away from that. But it, that with the talent they have, that to me is more likely. And the talent they have on the coaching staff, we've talked about Tommy Reese. We've talked about. Marcus Freeman, Mike Elson, Mike Mickens. There's enough talent on this coaching staff, and the schedule is soft enough in the regular season. Yeah, that exactly. I think that kind of run is more likely. And then you know maybe you get lucky, you get some some up and coming team in the first round, and then somebody knocks off Bama in the semifinal or something like sure. that. Or sure, you know who who knows. And so th- those things could happen. But I, um, I I'm not I'm not projecting either one of those things. But if I had to pick one, I'm right, it's going to be somewhere down the middle. But either yeah. way. Yeah. Uh, do you see where we're at in the comments? Yeah, I'm going, there's a couple that we. Uh, we, we First of we, all, everybody agrees with you on Nike, which I think is hilarious. There's like, oh, do they seven, really? There's like 17 straight comments here right nice. after where we're at about that, which I think is fantastic. Nice. I haven't got to those yet. I'm going to uh, go to Thomas Walsh here about uh, the, some draft stuff. So, all right, I'm going to bug out. Yep. Hey, I will see you tomorrow, later. man. I'll talk Thanks to you later. For, uh, but if I don't talk to you, good luck tomorrow on your doubleheader. Please do. Thank you. I will uh, talk to you guys later. Thanks a lot. Love my Friday mailbags, guys. I'll see you later. See you, man. All right, so you all are stuck with me now. So we're going to fly through some of these questions, and and uh, I'm just going to kind of go top to bottom. So if you have questions, get them in there. So we'll go and work through these. And uh, and, and here we go. Thomas Walsh, any chance Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is around when the Niners uh, when the uh, when Niners second round pick shows up? So. Thomas, I'm looking at the draft order right now, and the Niners pick 43rd. I have seen Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa go as low as 40 uh, in in the mock drafts for the day two mock draft. So I could see that happening because what what you could see is teams start looking and saying, "Well, we're going to draft for need more than best player available in round two. Which I think the deeper you get into the draft, 
the more you start seeing teams filling needs, then they go best player available. So could I see that? Yeah. Would it surprise me a little bit? It, it would. I think what would probably be more likely if you're a Niners fan and you want Jeremiah is when he gets down to 38, 39, 40, that you're going to have to trade up. Because you look at a team like the Broncos at 40, the Broncos still have needs at linebacker. And, and they're a team that that some people had. There was one mock draft that I think it was can't remember who it was. There was a mock draft that had the Broncos trading down from nine to 15 and taking Jeremiah Wusakoromoa, linebacker. And there was a lot of people that predicted the Broncos to take Micah Parsons at number nine. Cause in anyone that follows the Broncos knows, and um, you know, I, I'm one coverage at linebacker is a big issue for for the Broncos and Jeremiah Wusu grades out extremely high in coverage. So you're going to have to start thinking about that. If you're the Niners, if you really want him, you're going to have to trade up probably a few spots to get him. Uh, I'd be a little surprised if he fell all the way to 43, but I would have said last night, there's no way he falls out around once at this point in time. Uh, I would not be putting money on my opinion on, on where he goes. Uh, Christopher asked thoughts on the Colts, not taking Darisol. Look, I, I felt, I said this before the, the show, I, before the draft, I think Christian Darisol has the highest ceiling of all the tackles in this draft class, maybe Panay Sewell, but I, I really like Christian Darisol. He's incredibly long. I think he's got better footwork than people think. I think the game comes so naturally to him that people don't realize just how good he is. But when you actually watch him and you look at his production, he's outstanding. And, and I was surprised that the Colts didn't take an offensive tackle. I was even more surprised that the Quiddy Pay was their edge player. I, I'm not a big Quiddy Pay fan. I did not view him as a first-round pick. I think he's a high-motor guy. I love his story, and I hope he pans out. But he's got short arms. He's not the most instinctive player. He was just kind of a bull in a china shop in the Big Ten against a, a lot of mediocre tackles, and I, and I don't think he's going to be as good. And, and I think we saw that with Rashawn Gary, too. You know, He went 12th because he was an athletic freak, and he hasn't done hardly anything in the NFL up to this point in time. You know, it's a little bit here and there, but I, mean, I don't even think he's starting for the Packers right now because I, I just I don't trust – the Big Ten doesn't have a lot of really athletic linemen on the on offensive linemen, and so I think guys on the edge on defense end up being a little – a little better in college than, than they should be. Um, here we go. So that's interesting. Okay. So I'm going to get down here with some of these questions. All right. All right. RG Gerving. Okay. So I wanted to ask you a question. Is it like RJG? So like, you know, RJ meaning RG Jr. RJG Irving or is it RJ Gerving? Because I want to make sure I get that correct. But Tyler Buckner hasn't seen contact in 18 months. Is he durable at the college level? I have no idea. And I think that's part of the reason that the Notre Dame staff wants to make sure that he gets contact so they can find out how does he take a hit? Because what you don't know about Tyler Buckner is how does he handle getting smacked? He played against really poor competition in high school and dominated that competition how does he handle getting hit by a Bo Bauer type of player? You know, look, as a quarterback, here's something that you have to experience. And, and I went through it. Every Tommy Reese went through it. Uh, Jack Cohn's been through it where you're, you're going to get hit in the first quarter and you're going to land on your shoulder or you're going to land on your head and you're going to, or you're going to land on your back. Or your knee, your ankle's going to get rolled up on. How do you perform in those instances? You know, I, I, my second career start in college. Yeah. Yeah. Second career start. I had was playing with a sprained ankle and got my ankle rolled up on in that game. And I had to come out for a series, went back in and, you know, played the whole game. But, you know, I, there were things that I couldn't do because of my ankle. And you have to be able to adapt to that. And if, you know, to toot my own horn, I did throw a game winning touchdown pass with like 57 seconds left in that game. 
But, you know, adrenaline got me through the game, but the bus ride home wasn't a lot of fun. And then, of course, it's something that affected me the next couple of weeks because it was a high ankle sprain. So how do you get how do you handle that pain? And when you're a guy that's played against inferior opponents, you don't really know what that's like. And you need to learn as a coach, how does he handle getting his right shoulder driven into the ground? How does he handle when he's sore, when he's bruised, when his ribs are, are, are sore? You're not doing all those things to him in a game, but you're going to get a little taste of how he handles the physical contact of the game of football against players that are more on his level. Whereas the guys that he went against in high school, he was just, he was a star playing against a bunch of guys that, you know, I wouldn't have even recruited to the division three level. So um, to me, that is why I just don't think, I think it's a smart move, but I, I don't know the answer to that. But I think that's what Notre Dame is trying to discover is, is our, is he that durable? And again, the reason I like the fact they're forcing the issue now because it tells me that they like what they've seen from him so far. And they like they like that he's got a chance to be a player, and they want to test him and see what he can do. All right, Notre Dame 2164. How much of a recent offensive surge in college football is due to rule changes favoring offense and scoring? A lot of them are. And look, Nick Saban explained this. So if you go back and look at Alabama stats, Nick Saban had a uh, – actually, I'm, I'm going to put it – I'm going to put the link to it in this chat. And uh, so you guys can look at it. But Nick Saban did an interview recently where I'm, I'm putting it in the bottom of the chat now. So I would encourage you all to read it. It's an article I did at, at Irish Breakdown. And it's it's comments that Nick Saban had made recently where he talked about how the game has changed. And I, and I could we played him at, at the time, but he talked about how the rule changes with guys being able to block downfield when you're throwing the ball, different things along those lines. Uh caused him to change his philosophy. I'll read you what he said. He goes, you aren't, he said, the game is different now. People, this is a, a comments Nick Saban's made this off season. The game is different now. People score fast. I grew up with the idea that you play good defense, you run the ball, you control vertical field position on special teams, and you're going to win. Whoever rushes the ball the most for the, rushes the ball the most for the most yards is going to win the game. And he follows up. You aren't going to win that game. You aren't going to win any. You aren't you aren't going to win anything now doing that because a the way the spread is the way the rules are the to run RPOs the way the rules are that you can block downfield and throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage I mean those rules have changed college football no huddle fastball has changed college football and he starts talking about how he changed his philosophy five six years ago to create a situation where he understood that you have to now score more. And so that's what they're doing. And if you look at Alabama's results the last few years, Alabama was always a good offensive team, but they were sort of a ball control offensive team. In 2015, for example, when Alabama won the national title, they scored 35.1 points per game. In 2017, they scored 37.1 points per game. Again, a year they won the national title. That's when their 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 system really kicked into gear. They made the change from Jalen Hurts to Tua Tagovailoa. They became a more RPO-oriented and pro-style-oriented offense that threw the ball down the field. They went from passing for 193.4 yards per game in 2017 to 323.6, 342.2, and 358.2 the next three years, okay, with two different quarterbacks. And their scoring went from, again, 38.8, I think was their highest in 2016, 37.1 in 17, to the next three years they were 45.6, 47.2 and 48.5. 
and, and so they he realized that that's that's where football is going. So yes, and, and as he said, and if Nick Saban says it, I mean you you have to listen to it to a degree. I mean you always apply your own analysis and research, but you know look, he won multiple national titles doing it one way. Realized you had to change to go another way, and he did it. And a big part of it is reacting to the changes in the game, and part of the changes in the game are due to rule changes. All right, Connor Patton asks, do you think we'll see Xavier Watts tomorrow? If so, what will you be looking for? I think we'll see Xavier tomorrow. I, I think we'll see everybody tomorrow that's not injured. I, I would like to see how they use him. Are they just plugging him in a position, and if the ball comes his way, it comes his way, if that's what happens, and that tells me they don't have high expectations or hopes for Xavier Watts in 2021. If they're using him in a way, even if it's with the second team, I don't care where they're giving him screens, they're giving him jet sweeps, they're doing things to try to isolate him and get him the football, then that tells me uh, that he is, in fact, a, a guy that they're looking looking for to, to maybe challenge when they get to the spring. So, yes, I would um, – I would I would like to see him play more, and if if we don't really see him being emphasized and playing, then I would say that that tells me that they're not super high on him. All right, um, what about Styles? What what's your what's your question, Christopher? I think I might have missed um, uh, I I might have missed the first part of that question. I'm not quite sure what they want. Uh, we were talking earlier about who in the booth. I want Sean McDonough. I love Mike Tirico, but there's other guys that do a great job. Sean McDonough is one of them I really like when he calls a game. If they got Gus Johnson, I know this is probably unpopular, but I would love to see Gus Johnson do Notre Dame games. That would be awesome. Okay. Um, Chris Irish Young, this may have been asked or addressed. If so, please ignore it. It has not, so we will address it. Which player can we least afford to lose to injury for the 2021 season? But that's a That's a good one. I'd probably have to go with Kyle Hamilton. And the reason I say Kyle Hamilton is – you could make a case that Michael Mayer is Notre Dame's best player and not Kyle Hamilton. You can have that debate. But I think we can all agree that if you lose Michael Mayer, that hurts. But you've got George Takis, you've got Kevin Bauman, you've got uh, Kane Barong. You're going to be okay at tight end. And if you're not able to go two tight ends because you lost Mayer, you still can go three receivers, you can go two backs. There's a lot of things you can do to overcome losing your star at tight end. If you lose your star at safety, not only is the depth chart not as good behind him, but you can't protect your safety. Uh, you, you know the, the, he has to play. You can't go. You're not going to go to like a four-four defense where where you're you know maybe against Navy that would work, but it's not going to work against ever, anybody else. So I think that would be the thing that would make it um, make it too make it interesting. So I think that would be uh, that that would be the guy I would go with would be Kyle Hamilton. Dylan Bennett says just saw a mock draft in CBS Sports. It was done by Chris Trapasso, I think is how you say his name. And I saw that it was ridiculous. Where only two guys get taken from Notre Dame in the next two rounds, uh, Jer Jeremiah Wusakormo and Robert Hainsey. If that is the case, then what would you, your thoughts be on that? Seems like a hot take. I, I don't put a lot of stock into Chris Trapasso's mock drafts. Uh, I'm not a knock on him, but I just you know I put him in there just because it's another data point. But I wouldn't be surprised if he went back and said, "Oh shoot, I forgot to put Liam Eikenberg in there," because he had Liam Eikenberg going in the second round of his original mock draft. So I don't know why he would have him falling out of the first two, second and third rounds after the fact. It just it doesn't make a lot of sense. So I have to think that that is that was more of a mistake than anything else, because I'm actually trying to find his his mock draft roundup now uh, for Liam Eikenberg. And I believe I'm, I'm trying to find it here, but I believe he had Eikenberg going in. um the, the, the second round. So yeah, he had, when he did his pre-draft mock draft, he had Liam Eikenberg going number 56 to the Seahawks. 
I'd be shocked if all of a sudden he now has him out, out not even going around two or three. I, I'd be willing to uh, to bet that, like all of us, sometimes you put an article together and you put it on the fly and you make a mistake. And I think that's probably what that was. So honestly, Dylan, because of who he had, where he had Eichenberg going early, I, I just think that was an oversight on his part. And it, it happens to us. Okay, here's some more comments from Notre Dame fans about Brady Quinn coming to cover Notre Dame games. Uh, Quinn is a professional and damn good at what he does. It is a move from avoiding favoritism to punishing guys for being alums. And I agree with that. I, I think they're, I, I agree with that. Yep, I definitely agree with that. Okay, let's see here. Uh, see what else. Thomas Walsh says, uh, Aaron Taylor and Trico as well. I would enjoy that. I like Aaron Taylor for CBS. I think he provides really good analysis. I think he really knows the game. He would be able to provide some insight. But I also think he does a good job because I watch him on the CBS, like their version of, you know, game day or the one they do during the week. Yeah, like Rick Neuheisel on it and some other guys. But he he's good at, at – and this is hard to do, and I've struggled with it a lot in, in my career, is explaining the game of football in a way to where you're not coming across like you're talking to other coaches or other players, where you're actually talking to fans and people so that you're not – you're not being so basic that you're condescending them. Like you don't know anything about football, but you're not also talking to them at a level that they should know it. Like a coach knows it. And I think Aaron does a really good job with that. And that is not a difficult thing. And yes, he is with CBS. I realize that, but um, we'll, we'll see what he does. And Chris Irish young says, I'm excited for drew Brees. Hopefully he doesn't let me down. I agree though. There's no reason for Notre Dame. Couldn't do a uh, reason. Notre Dame alum could do the job and do it. Well, I guess I'm not excited for Drew Brees because it's going to be for a short period of time. I mean, they've already basically said he's – that was my my comment about it being a um, – yeah, I just I, – I feel like they're using Notre Dame as their minor leagues, and I don't really like that. Chief Brody says, is there another network you would like to see broadcast Notre Dame games? Yes. I would love to see CBS outbid NBC for the Notre Dame contract because they don't have the SEC anymore. I believe that they they – in the next, if it's not already going in the next year or two, I don't, I believe they're going to have less SEC coverage. And eventually, I think they're not going to have SEC coverage at all because ESPN bought it up. I would love to see Notre Dame sign with CBS for a couple reasons. Number one, I feel like because CBS does the NFL and they've done college football, they'd have a deeper pool of people to draw from as far as doing games where like the NBC does like one NFL game a week, correct? So I don't think they don't have as deep of a roster of people to do this. And and obviously CBS has got is more involved in, in doing games on a weekly basis. Number two, okay, and I might be in the minority here, and I want to know what y'all think. My favorite intro music to college football games is the CBS intro that they've used for years. And maybe it's nostalgia because I grew up on a lot of games where I watched Notre Dame growing up were on CBS. I think the Miami game in 88 was on CBS, I believe. Uh, I could be wrong. It might have been an ABC game, but Notre Dame had a lot of big CBS games back in the day, and I absolutely love that intro music. And, and so I would have, lo I would love to see that. I'd love to see CBS get Notre Dame because number one, I don't really like the NC NBC coverage. I think they're always jerking with their camera angles again, using Notre Dame as like a guinea pig to see how things work. And then uh, you know, and then we get the intro music. So for me, I, I think that would be my ideal situation if I was if I was a Notre Dame fan and Tommy says, I'd like to see Notre Dame sign a deal with Fox sports, actually get a decent pregame show. I'd be okay with that. I mean, Fox sports work too, but I just, again, I, I love the, the idea of, of every game Notre Dame plays of having a, um, having a situation where you're getting to listen to that intro music would just get me, 
get me very excited. So that's that's kind of why I look at that. But that's kind of a silly reason to do it. Not not it wouldn't have any any say in that. So uh, all right, get uh, get him the get him rock. Okay, so does the potential rise of programs like Iowa State, North Carolina to challenge the established big boys help or hurt Notre Dame? I think those things help Notre Dame. I mean, I don't I don't know if I'd say those programs are challenging the big boys. I mean, we've seen North Carolina do this before back in, with Mac Brown. Back, remember when they had uh, Dre Bly and, and Julius Peppers and, and those guys, you know, they became a top 10 program. They still couldn't beat Florida State, you know. So uh, in Iowa State, yeah, Iowa State's knocked off Oklahoma here and there, but, you know, they're still not they're still not a big boy yet. And they have to win some some games out of conference, you know. I mean, yeah, they beat Oklahoma, but then Notre Dame went and smacked them around. So Iowa State has a lot to prove. I think their top 10 preseason ranking, I think that ridiculous FPI at ESPN had them like fourth ahead of Notre Dame. It's just silly. But North Carolina is interesting. But I look, I think that more teams coming up is good for college football. I think that, you know, Alabama having to fight to stay undefeated every year, fight to not lose two games every year is good for college football. And this is why Vince and I did that podcast and that show a couple weeks ago about, you know, which programs are are good for college football because there, if USC is at its best and Texas is at its best and Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan – um, Florida State, Florida, Alabama, those kind of programs are all at their best. Then it's harder for a program like, like Alabama to dominate the way that they have. And then to take that even further within each league, if I was able to challenge Ohio State or Wisconsin can or Penn State can or you know Washington and Oregon can challenge USC and Iowa State and TCU can or Kansas State can knock off Oklahoma and Texas, I think all those things are good for college football. And they're good for Notre Dame because then when the other programs are are torn down a little bit, then it makes it easier for Notre Dame to to you know to be to to rise up. So that's kind of where where I am on that one. Okay, Chief Brody, how possible is it that Jim Harbaugh pulls a Brian Kelly and turns that program around after a dismal season? It's certainly possible. I I don't know if I love the the hires that he's made. I also don't have a lot of faith in Jim Harbaugh as a coach anymore. I, I I think the guy that we saw at Stanford and with the Niners is is gone. I, I don't think Jim Harbaugh is that guy anymore. I think that there is there is um I'm concerned about Coach Harbaugh, and I'm not joking. I'm being serious here. I'm a little concerned about him. So I, I don't see him as being able to do that. Having said that, the Big Ten is is there for the taking. Number one, and number two, he is going to have a talented roster. I just don't love the I don't love the coaching moves that he has made. Uh, this offseason that, that makes me think um, think about that. So here we go. C, it seems that Ohio State is trending towards Hayden with them pulling out of Singleton's official visit. Where do you think Notre Dame stands with Singleton? It seems he's trending to Penn State, unfortunately, as he's a gap closer. I, I still feel that Notre Dame is in a better place with Hayden than other people do. I, I think that I think they realize Ohio State realized that they were a, a distant third for for Nicholas Singleton. They're behind Notre Dame and Penn State, and so they're focusing their attention on Hayden. I don't think it necessarily means that they're going to get Hayden. Is it possible? Sure. And Notre Dame, Notre Dame had positioned itself, according to my sources, that in, in a place where, and this is not Notre Dame sources, where if they really turned up the heat on Singleton, they or I mean on on Hayden, they were going to have a chance to get him. The concern I have is I don't know if other than Tommy Reese, there's any coaches on the offense that turn up the heat on anybody, and, and that's my concern. So, yes, it's a bit concerning. But Notre Dame, to me, with Singleton, I like where they're at. He's But, look, I say this every week, and it's going to sound like a broken record. We're not going to really know until these kids get on campus. 
Notre Dame has to fight and battle to make sure these kids get on campus. That's going to be the key. That's when they're going to really know where Notre Dame stands with these types of players. All right. Brian Denbo says, what kind of schedule do you have tomorrow live during the show? I will not be live during the, the game because I'll be at Notre Dame Stadium. And so I can't I can't go live during the show from there because I can't talk during the game because I'm in the press box with everybody else. Uh, also, uh, in the press box, you have to wear a mask the whole time, and so you wouldn't be able to hear me that well. Uh, so that would make it kind of uh, not, a, not a good idea. But I'll actually be in the press box covering the game. What we'll do is I'll publish my game observations right afterwards, uh, and then I will come home. And once I get home, I will fire up the live stream. So what I'll do is, and and so this is for everybody to pay attention, you know, to to keep this keep on the lookout for this. This is why you need to hit the notifications bell because what I'm going to do is before I leave the stadium, I'm going to set a timer for when, like, or set a time. I'll I'll create the chat or I'll create the 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 show and it'll be published that, Hey, I've scheduled it for, you know, let's say it's three o'clock or four o'clock or whatever the case may be. I'll schedule it for that time. So you'll know when we're going to get started. I won't just like pop out of nowhere and say, Hey, shows in five minutes. I'll schedule at least an hour ahead. So that way, you know, you know, when it, uh, uh, when it, uh, when it's going to start. So yeah, we will go live on Saturday, but it will be after the game and we'll break down. I'll break down everything. I see Vince has a double header on Saturday. For those who don't know, Vince is a head baseball coach in the area. They have a doubleheader on Saturday, so he will not be a part of the show on Saturday. He and I will do a podcast on Monday where we'll get his thoughts on, on what we saw. Chief Brody, Gus Johnson's call on the Julian Love pick six against Michigan State in 2017 is one of my all-time favorite calls. Yeah, I, I love Gus Johnson. I really he makes he can make a he can make a game between Vanderbilt and Kansas exciting. I mean, that that's I, I really enjoy him very, very much. Okay. Uh, Dynasty ISP, thanks for doing this weekly. You're welcome. How much longer is Tommy Reese around if the red zone issues aren't fixed this season? Tommy Reese is going to be around for a while. I think Tommy Reese is a smart young offensive coordinator. It's just, I think the the issues last year are going to be part of the learning experience. But look, Brian Kelly had issues in the red zone up until the time he hired Chip Long. Chip Long's the only offensive coordinator he's had who's, who's put a, a good red zone on the field so far. And and he still kept those guys around, and and so I, I don't I don't think Tommy Reese is in danger of losing his job, but I do anticipate him making the changes because if you listen to his comments last week, he talked a lot about the red zone, and he admitted his mistakes and the and the, the things that he was talking about were were similar to things that I've mentioned about the issues. Is they would they'd run a lot of they would run a lot of really routes count combinations that didn't work in the red zone, and and a lot of them were geared towards getting the ball into the end zone as opposed to. You know, under you know, being more layered, and so they would do a lot of horizontal stretches in the red zone. A horizontal stretch, so you understand, is is a pass concept where you're you're essentially kind of going left to right, so like four verticals. So it's like receiver, 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 going this way. It's called a horizontal stretch. A vertical stretch is more of a, a combination where you're stretching the defense top down. So you have a post route, and then a drag route, and then a crossing route, so that they're layered on top of each other. Right, so you're stretching them vertically and in the red zone Notre Dame did a lot of horizontal stretches well in my opinion with the exception of outside fades horizontal stretches are not overly effective uh red zone route combinations unless they're quick you know double slant slant snap against a you know when you're in facing cover zero I'm talking more about that that 10 to 15 range 10 to 20 range where Notre Dame was running those horizontal stretch concepts and they're just not effective routes I would like to see them do more 
high low concepts and 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 we've seen them be successful with that. They had a, a hot couple high low concepts that they scored against Florida State. Michael Mayer scored on one like that. Was, or no, was, am I am I thinking yeah, I think that was. I might be confusing that with with the Cole Komet touchdown a year before against USC. Braden Lindsay scored on one of those kind of concepts. Against BC, they had several checkdowns that they hit against BC where they were able to kind of come underneath and then let the running back kind of run, pick up some extra yards. So I, I I I think that he made some comments that leads me to believe that he understands what the problem was that and he plans on addressing it and the things that he talked about addressing it were were important and also talked about running the ball more effectively. There were too many times last year when Notre Dame would use the run game to get into the red zone and then get into the red zone and just start throwing the ball, and that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Okay. Dylan Bennett, what are your thoughts on the teammate of Donovan Heinisch for, from the 2024 class? I mean, it's it's D- Dylan. It's hard for me to have much of an opinion on on, and that's Anthony Specka. Look, he's a good, really good football player for a freshman. He's got good size for a freshman. He's a good a- athletic kid. He's strong for a freshman, but all those things are for a freshman. I get what they've offered him. I, I, I think it's fine to offer him, but it, it, I'm I'm still a year, at least a year away from having an opinion about whether or not he's a guy that Notre Dame should take. I think you make this offer to get in the game. Totally fine with that. And then you keep recruiting him in and see how he develops. But he's a good for, – for his age, he's a really good football player. So if they're going to offer a freshman, I can certainly understand um, – I can certainly understand why he would be one of those guys. Robert says, uh, NBC, start, NBC started carrying Notre Dame home games in 1991. Why, after 30 years, does Notre Dame still not hire a former – Has still has not – does NBC still not hire a – Former Notre Dame guy after Bettis retired, I thought he would be perfect. I'd be a perfect choice. I don't know what kind of you know color chops that that uh, that uh, Jerome Bettis has, but I it's because of what we talked about. They are dead set on having this no Notre Dame bias whatsoever, and I think their thing is just the mere hiring of a Notre Dame guy would come across as bias, which is stupid to me because if you're going to use that logic, then wouldn't hiring a USC guy? automatically mean there's going to be a, a bias against Notre Dame and they had a USC guy in the booth forever. So I just, to me, I just, I think it's silly if a guy is good at his job and he's a professional and I don't want a Homer in the press box. I want a guy that's going to call the game the way he's going to call the game. But at the same time, it'd be nice to say to have a guy that at least, you know, has the, the, the respect for Notre Dame and it's not just a job for him. It's something he has a passion for. And I think that would make the NBC broadcast a lot better. I mean, who's toning into NBC broad, NBC to watch Chris Sims talk about Notre Dame? I know of no one doing that. I certainly don't do that. Uh, KMA Preston, how is Notre Dame doing with safety recruiting? Do we lead for anyone? I don't. I don't think they lead for anybody. I think they're in the in the top two or three for a lot of guys. I think Notre Dame is in the top half for Jake Pope. I think if that visit goes well, they could really position themselves in a great position. If they push for Jaden Mangum, I think they'd have a shot for him. I don't know if they're necessarily pushing for him. I think they're in the top two or three for KJ Winston at this point in time. Devin Moore if is a guy that could be a corner or a safety. They're recruiting him for corner, but I still like his future at safety or that nickel. I think they're in a really good place there. There's there's and Xavier Nawankpa is a guy that they're, they're Ohio State's the leader for right now by a wide margin. But again, let's see what happens when they get him on campus. And he is um, uh, he is a guy that I would see, I would like to see, um, see that push for. So we'll, we'll see how kind of how that goes. Okay. All right. Here we go. 
Okay, KMA Preston, how many Notre Dame players do you think get drafted in round two and how many in round three? I've seen three Notre Dame. I've seen four different Notre Dame players get projected to go round two. I've seen now, obviously, today you have Eichenberg and Owusukor Moa, and I've seen Tommy Drumble today get mocked in there. And then in the past, there was one mock draft I saw that Aaron Banks going around two. I'd I'd probably if I had to if you were asking me how many and I'm predicting I'd I'd go conservative because I think I already thought the Notre Dame players are going to go higher. So clearly the NFL doesn't view the some of the Notre Dame players the way that I did. I would say definitely two going round two today, and at least two going round three. I think I think Tremble will go in round three. Again, I could be wrong on that, but I think he goes in round three. And I think one of the other offensive linemen, either Banks or Hainsey, is going to go in round three. I saw a mock draft today that also had Dalen Hayes in round three. That would surprise me a little bit, but that would be that would be great. Uh, that would be great. Uh, Sean Rogers says, "Did I miss the link for the game?" Uh, well, it's at irishbreakdown.com. I'm going to put it in the chat now. It is uh, it is in this article that I'm putting here at the bottom. And if you click on the – so under how to watch the game, you'll see the, the peacock. It says click the link to get free access. So you click the peacock link in that article. It's now at the bottom of the chat for everybody who, who doesn't have that yet. If you go to the peacock network, you do one of two things. If you are, a, if you are an Xfinity or Cox subscriber – then what you'll do is you will then go and uh, sign in with your Cox account or your or your Xfinity account, and then you just get immediate access to Peacock. And you can use that all the time. You actually get premium access if you do that. If you if you're if you don't have one of those, then all you got to do is just go and create a free account, and that free account will allow you to watch Notre Dame game. It is going to be free. It's not one of their premium shows, so you will be able to watch it. So you just have to create it, but you can get to that link in the article that I just provided uh, below. Okay, here we go. C says, Coach, uh, not sure if you saw, but Taylor and Polian were mentioned as, as replacements for Leopold. Any concern replacing them? Hey, C, could you do me a favor and tell me where you saw that? Because I've only seen, so far, all I've seen is Pete Thamel's uh, tweet, and he had a bunch of other guys, but I did not see Lance Taylor or Brian Polian there. So could you tell me where you heard that from? Because I would like to do some research on that. But look, to me, both of those guys are quality football coaches, Lance Taylor more so than, than uh, Brian Polian. But they're both replaceable, and if Notre Dame lost either one of them, there there'd be good options now. Whether or not Brian Kelly hires good options to replace him is a different conversation. But I think Notre Dame would be fine uh, at both of those spots. And and honestly, if Polian left, this isn't even a knock on Polian. I do think it would give Notre Dame an opportunity to kind of remake their staff. I don't love the idea of just having a coach being the special teams coordinator. I, I think that's an unnecessary uh, narrowing of one job. I, I think that maybe it made some sense if he was the recruiting coordinator. And, and he was great at that. I, I didn't think that he was necessarily great at that. He was solid at it. But just having a guy being a special teams coach, I think, hinders you. I'd like to see a guy that is maybe the special teams coach, but also position. So, you know, like if Pullian left, I'd, I'd, I'd pound the table for, you know, Nick Lazinski being hired as a full-time coach. And then let Nick Lazinski and, and maybe Chris O'Leary and, you know, and, and John McNulty, some, maybe something like that, work together to, to coordinate the special teams. And then Nick Lazinski could coach linebackers, which would free Marcus Freeman up to just be the defensive coordinator, and then he could roam a little bit more. Uh, so those are things that I'd like to see. I mean, look, they're both good coaches, and if they stay at Notre Dame, great. If they leave, I think Notre Dame will be fine as long as Kelly Coach Kelly makes, makes good hires. Matty K asked, uh, am I going to be allowed at the spring game tomorrow or Vince? So the rule is, is it's a lot like um, – it's a lot like uh, the fall, so each or each outlet can have one uh, one person at the game. So I'll be the one at the game because also because Vince is gonna has a doubleheader. So 
Uh, I was going to plan on covering the game anyway, but then Vince had the doubleheader, so it would make sense to do it. Uh, there, so that, so I'll be at the game. Vince will be at his baseball game, but I'll be in the press box covering the game tomorrow. So I'll, I'll be, well, so, and we're also going to have a live chat tomorrow that's going to be on the website. It'll be, so I'll be giving my in game thoughts on the website. So make sure you sign up for that. You can actually comment in there too if you sign up for Discuss, which is free. Then you can find that information on that at the bottom of every single article that I put out. So sign up for discuss and, and we can check it out there. See, I did not see that. Uh, I'll have to look at it. So I, the the tweet that I saw had certain names. It was like uh, Rob Inello and another guy. So maybe he put a second tweet out and I didn't see those names, but I'll definitely look for that. I appreciate the heads up on that. But like I said, I'm not necessarily concerned about losing them. And and I think I think losing assistant coaches to be head coaches somewhere else is is good for your program. I, I really do. I think. It's it, it, it's gonna set you up to make better hires in the future. If guys know that, hey, if I go, if I go run Brian Kelly's defense for two or three years and have some success, and then I'm getting hired as an SEC coach or a Big Ten coach, uh, or if I'm the assistant coach and I can go be a you know a, a MAC head coach or an AAC head coach, uh, and that's those are things that are gonna help Notre Dame to to be other co- top coaches are gonna be more receptive to going there because they feel like they can be successful there. So we're getting close to the bo- to the end of these questions. So if you guys have more questions, we can talk about the draft or if you want anything else, uh, if you want my thoughts on teams that you drafted or, or what I think of certain players, feel free to ask. Otherwise, we're going to be wrapping up here soon. i got two more questions to go here before we're done. Uh, DomerTX22 asks, the draft certainly reaffirmed the importance of wide receivers in today's game. Do you think we can get on any uh, other needle moving receivers once visits open up? Like the visit videos, everyone. Uh, please like the videos, everyone. I appreciate that very, very much. Uh, so I think there's already some needle moving receivers on the board. I think that CJ Williams and Tobias Merriweather and Xavion Bradshaw are all needle moving receivers at different positions. Uh, I, as long as Nerning gets one of those two big guys, Williams or Merriweather and Bradshaw, I think those are needle moving players. I think they have needle-moving receivers on the roster now. They just have to be utilized, and maybe they will when we get to the fall. But I I also don't think that it's necessary that you have to have top 10 NFL draft picks at receiver to be that. And I think – I have – look, I'm not going to get into it now about Alabama's drafts and stuff like that because, look, Alabama's a loaded program. But but I'd be curious to have somebody do a study on how many noted Alabama players, especially skill players – actually pan out to the level that they were drafted. Julio obviously did, but I, I can't think of any other Bama receivers yet. Now, maybe maybe Jerry Judy is that for the Broncos. I, I hope so. But I always felt Henry Ruggs was overvalued because of speed in the same way that John Ross was overvalued because of speed. Being fast and being a really good football player are two completely different things. You know, and we'll find out. Is Jalen Waddle really deserving of the number six pick? Or did he benefit like Matt Jones benefited from being on a, a, an elite team where all around where it was hard to, to to game plan for him. So we'll we'll see. Um we'll kind of see how that goes. So I'm I'm really curious to see how that how that plays out. So here we go. General football question from KMA Preston. Uh, what do you think about teams like the Bengals and Dolphins taking wide receivers early instead of drafting O-line to protect their young quarterback? So each team is different, right? But when I look at those two teams, honestly, my stance was is in my mock draft, I had the Dolphins taking Oh gosh, who did I have? The I had the Dolphins taking. I actually had the Dolphins trading out of that pick, but I had Jalen Waddle going in the top ten. I had I had the Bengals taking Jamar Chase because, in my opinion, I think that I would much rather have. Here's how I look at it. Okay, you look at the Bengals depth chart. You got Joe Mixon at running back. 
They got T. Higgins. They got Tyler Boyd at receiver. Those are both good football players. They're not number one receivers like a Jamar Chase can be. And you've got a you, you know tight end. If Kyle Pitts was there, he would have been my pick for the Bengals because because they need an upgrade at tight end over Drew Sample, in my opinion. But you look at the tight end situation, you look at the receiver situation, and especially the running back and receiver situations, they need a game changer outside. Tyler Boyd's a good football player. T. Higgins, good football player. Jamar Chase is a, is a dominant player. To me, there are guys in round two, they're picking at 38. There are guys like Liam Eikenberg. Uh, there are guys like Samuel Cosme. Maybe you take a flyer on a Walker Little, hoping that he pans out with his injury history. Uh, you look at the the kid that from North Dakota State. There's some really good offensive tackles that are going to be there at number 38 that, to me, are not that much below a guy like Panay Sewell. That's just my opinion. Whereas the receivers you could take at 38, there's a huge difference between them and Jamar Chase. Huge difference. So I just I don't believe that that offensive line is one of those things where you have to take a top ten offensive lineman. You do if there's a legitimate top ten guy. I think that you know Quentin Nelson, for example, but like the 49ers, I thought the Niners reached for Mike McGlinchey, and so he's they're paying him like a number nine overall pick, and he's not playing like a number nine overall pick. And I you know, I think Panay Sewell's a, a really really good football player, but he played two years in college. That's it because he didn't play this past year. So I would much rather take a Jamar Chase and then take a Liam Eikenberg or or the kid from North Dakota State whose last name I cannot pronounce. I'd rather take them in round two, Samuel Cosme, who's again, needs work, but I'd take them. The other thing about the Bengals too is, and, and I don't know, people people don't talk about this, but like they've got Jonah Williams at left tackle. He's now a year removed from his big injury. I think he'll be better. They got Michael Jordan at guard. Um, you know, Price is okay. The kid from UCLA at guard's okay. They could be upgraded, and then they signed Riley Reef this offseason. Well, to me, you have a decent offensive line. You can build your offensive line through the draft in rounds two and three, I, much more so in my opinion than you can go build your receiving core. There, you, you, I just, I know it happens, but I would rather take a dynamic receiver in the top ten and find a good offensive lineman like a Liam Eikenberg or in round two or a Robert Hainsey in round three than trying to hope to take a, a dynamic receiver because what's going to have to happen at receiver is you either take a guy that's got character issues that fell or B you take a guy that you think could be good, but, but there's more bust potential in, in my personal opinion. So I personally am perfectly fine with them doing that and same with the dolphins, you know, look, I mean, the dolphins don't have a, a great offensive line, but the dolphins have a pretty, at least a serviceable offensive line. You drafted Austin Jackson in the first round last year. Solomon Kinley's a, a, a high pick high-ish pick. Robert Hunt was, I think, their second-round pick last year, second or third-round pick last year in the last two years. He's a good player at guard. They could use an upgrade at tackle, but I would take a, a skill player in this first round and then take a lineman in the second round. Now, having said that, I don't love the specific position. You asked a general question. I don't like the specific pick of Jalen Waddle at six. I think Jalen Waddle, to me, I have concerns if he is just a big play guy, which is great, but I have issues taking a, just a big play guy at number six. I think you take a guy like Jamar Chase who can be a volume and a big play guy, whereas Waddle, to me, is more of just a big play guy. I still would have taken Devontae Smith over Jalen Waddle. I know I'm in the minority on that one, but I just would have. I thought it was a great pick for the Eagles to get Smith uh, where they got him. So I – that's personally what I would do. I would rather have a second, third round offensive lineman, unless it's a guy like a Quentin Nelson, which is like that no brainer. 
guy, you look at the Giants took Andrew Thomas last year and they bet on his upside, but you know, he had a rough first year and would he have protected your quarterback? No, because he's developing. And that's my thing with Panay Sewell. Panay Sewell still needs time to develop. He's only played two years and he didn't play a lot again against a lot of really good defenses. And if you look at his career, the games where he graded out lowest are games against teams like Auburn, you know, games like that where they actually played really good defenses and he wasn't quite as dominant because he's still young. He's a young blocker. And if I'm going to have a young, dynamic player developing and making mistakes, I want that guy being a receiver, not an offensive lineman. I'd rather have a plug-and-play guy like Liam Eikenberg uh, where I know at least he's going to be – maybe he's not dominant, but I at least know I can put him and protect my quarterback with him, if that makes any sense. So that's kind of um, have it. So CS, we, we kind of talked about this earlier. I'm going to address it again. Do you think Eikenberg slipping has anything to do with not having Harry Heastan as his position coach? I remember how McGlinchey got the benefit of the doubt in this draft period. Don't see a gap between Liam and Mike. I think Liam Eikenberg's a better player than Mike McGlinchey. Mike McGlinchey has the better body. He's longer. He's got longer arms and all that. But, I mean, you compare his film in 2017 to Liam Eikenberg's in 2020, and it's not close, in my, especially in the pass game. It's not close. So I, I, think it's a, I think a big part of this, I think it's two things. Number one, it's his length. When he measured in with 32 and 3-8 inch arms, I said, uh-oh, that's concerning. Because they're just those kind of guys playing tackle in the NFL are rare. And that's it's kind of like what hurt Jeremiah Wusu Kormo. It's where does he play? I think that hurt Eichenberg. And I think the Harry Heastan part hurt him too. And that's not a knock on Jeff Quinn. It's just that Harry Heastan is a much more proven commodity in the NFL, especially among NFL offensive line coaches. And what you have to understand is offensive line coaches, it's like a it's like a fraternity. Those guys meet every offseason. They talk ball. They share ideas. I, I've never met a group of coaches that have more of a connection and a bond than offensive line coaches. They're a different breed, a very different breed. And so when a guy like Harry Heastan writes a letter to every NFL team, which he has done for Notre Dame players, and sends it out, that's going to carry a lot more weight than when Jeff Quinn does it. Again, that is not a knock on Jeff Quinn. He could be the best offensive line coach in college football. He just doesn't have the reputation – and the NFL coaches don't know him like they know Harry Heastan. Thomas Walsh asked, any update on Jacob Lacey's status with his shoulder? He was going through drills yesterday. Brian Kelly said that he's coming along, but he was always going to be out all spring. It's hoping They're going to hope to get him back for the fall. There was never uh, a, a never – it was never going to happen. Dylan Bennett, you had predicted a, a commitment or two in April, seeing as the last of April, any commitments today? So Notre Dame, I my prediction was correct. What I don't know is if those commitments are going to be public today or not. I don't think that they will. But Notre Dame has gained, in my opinion, from what I've talked to, a couple of commitments in April. Those players just have not gone public. I would expect at least one of them to happen sooner rather than later. But we'll have to see how it plays out. Christopher, I know BK called Eichenberg a right tackle, but could he play left tackle next to Q on the Colts? I think he could. I, I think he could be a left tackle, especially when you have a guy like Quentin Nelson uh, on his side. So, so yes. Amari Cooper, yes, Alabama receivers. Well, let, let me ask you this. Has Amari Cooper been a good player in the NFL? I would say yes. Do you think Amari Cooper has played to his draft status, though? I think that's a bigger question. Um, I, don't, I don't know that he necessarily has. Yeah, I mean, and, and the team that signed him traded him. So I, I just... I don't know if you could say that he's he was the number four overall pick in the draft. I don't think Amari Cooper's played to that level. He's put up good numbers, but you know, putting up a thousand, he's put up eleven hundred, 
1189, and 1114. Has never had more than eight touchdowns in a season. And he's played, what, f- six years? I mean, those are good numbers, sure. Those are good numbers. But is that number four overall draft pick good numbers in a league where, you know, let's be honest, it's a passing league. So it's kind of like it's kind of like how it used to be, you know, back in the day when you know running back and rush for a thousand yards, and you say, Well, yeah, that's fine, but you know, rushing for a thousand yards, you know, isn't isn't that big of a deal back then because everybody had a thousand yard running back. You had to get to like that 12, 13, 1400 number. You know, last year, you know, despite it being a weird year, you had six to eighteen different guys rush for or gain a thousand yards receiving. Um, to me, I just I I think he's been good. The year before that, there was 29. In 2019, there was 29 different players that had a thousand yards. In 2018, there was oh, that's can't let's see here. They have it 461. That's obviously not correct. Uh, but there was there was more than there was this past season. That is for sure. So I mean, it's just a thousand yards receiving, 1100 yards receiving. To me, is just not a big big number. Robert asked, do you think the Shamrock Sears will come back? I, I, If Notre Dame is convinced that it's going to make them money, then I think that they'll it'll come back. I just don't think that it's something that Notre Dame is necessarily pushing for right now, at least from what I've heard. I would like to see it come back. I kind of like it. It was fun for me to be able to go to those places and, and, um, you know, and, and, and be effective. So, um, and it says, uh, Searcher Green says, no Saban cornerback has made a Pro Bowl. I believe that, and someone else said, Marlon Humphrey, no Pro Bowl. Marlon Humphrey has made two Pro Bowls the last two years. He made it in 2019 and he made it in 2020. Okay. Matty K, 55. So you know how Kyron Williams just burst out of nowhere last season in the fall. Who do you think could make that kind of jump at any position for Notre Dame this year, in your opinion? I think there's a few, actually. I think that uh, I would not be surprised if a wide receiver did, whether it's Avery Davis, whether it's uh, Lawrence Keyes, Brayden Lindsey, or Kevin Austin, Jordan Johnson. I think there's several capable of it. I think defensively, I believe that Jason Adam Yola could be that guy. I believe that um, Isaiah Foskey could be that guy. So I think there's several guys that could, could, could have those kind of big breakout years. Okay, let's see here. Christopher asks, is Jalen Smith's days in Dallas numbered because of the Micah Parsons pick? Honestly, Christopher, I asked this question last night on Twitter because I don't know enough about Dallas' situation. And I've seen reports that they're kind of looking to get out from under his contract because he hasn't played up to the level of his contract the last two years, which is why you should always be hesitant on paying a guy after one big year. You know, let a guy have some consistency, but of course that's not how the business works. So I honestly don't know. I, I don't know enough about Dallas' situation to to really have an opinion on that. Ryan Bonk, over under, nine and a half defensive linemen get meaningful minutes every game this season. I just see too much talent here. Lastly, chances Notre Dame holds offenses to less than 100 yards rushing this season. Thanks, Coach. Um, Ryan, if you're going to tell me on average, then I would say I'd probably – I'd, I'll take the under. It, to, to meaningful minutes every game, I'm taking the under. I think it's going to be hard to get 10 guys. So you'd have to get a two position. You have to go three deep at two positions of meaningful snaps. And I don't think they're going to get there. I think they'll make it there. There'll be games where, you know, let's say if Jacob Lacey comes back healthy, could I see snaps where you've got Adam Yola and Mills and then Heinish and Cross and Jacob Lacey getting minutes? Sure, I could see that. 
but will it be meaningful minutes every single game? I don't, I don't know if there's an answer. Then and then who and then mate, you'd have to either have Gabriel Rubio as a as a sixth defensive tackle, or you're going to have to have, you know, maybe Nana at the strong side end. I just think it's going to be tough to get ten guys, which means two deep at four positions plus two more. Things to be challenging, especially for a defense that's going to be doing three men front. So I'd take the under. Okay. Let's see here. Okay, Christopher asks, if you were an info GM, would you question a player's dedication if they opted out of last season? Automatically, no, I wouldn't. I think that I got to be careful how I say this because people don't know how to handle this very well. I think there's two. There, first of all, I would it would automatically make me look into the player's background because I'd want to find out, is this a kid that loves football? I'd want to find out the personal situations behind it, the reasons behind it, things like that. So there were some kids who opted out because I just think they were looking to say, hey, I'm going to be an NFL pick and I don't want to get hurt. I'd have a little bit of an issue with that. Yeah, I want to, where's your competitiveness, right? But there are other kids that I think opted out for, for, for more justifiable reasons. And when you hear about the reasons why Gregory Rousseau opted out, his mom is a frontline nurse. At the time he made the decision to opt out, it was during a period of time when we were at the height of the COVID pandemic. And if your mom is a nurse and she's seeing certain things every day in certain parts of the country, it's a lot worse than others. Yeah, I could be, I could be more understanding. And I think a lot, also when a lot of these kids made the decision to opt out, the, the effects of COVID and the age groups in which it, it impacted the most was not being portrayed in a way that necessarily reflected the num- the data, the actual data. And I could understand a lot of younger people being more concerned about it. I think there was a lot more uncertainty about it. I'm actually surprised more people didn't opt out than they did. And I'm, I'm trying to not dive into a political conversation here, but it is it is a really unique situation. And I'm not going to automatically to to hammer a 20 or a 19, 20, 21 year old for that decision because it wasn't an easy decision. And I would want to dive more into the reasons why is this a kid that maybe has had, you know, work ethic problems in the past and then, then maybe it would concern me, but for some guys it's like, yeah, okay, I'm not banging Gregory Rousseau for his decision to opt out. It makes actually a lot of sense based on what we knew at the time, who his mom is and what she was going through on a daily basis and his family situation makes a lot of sense to me. So it would cause me to look deeper into certain aspects of each player that did that, but it would not be something where, um, I would question his dedication in, immediately. With some of them, I de- I'd, I'd question it, but there's guys whose dedication I would question who played last year. It's just an individual dis- situation. Came in, Preston, do you think J- Jeremiah Wusukoromo being a hybrid might have hurt his draft stock because some teams didn't know where to start him? Because dude definitely should have gone first round. I definitely think that's part of it. I don't think it's the only reason, but I certainly think that's part of it. Okay, here's Dylan Bennett says, according to the Cowboys, since they gave up a first, uh, but I agree with you. Is okay at best. Uh, I was just being contrarian in regards to, I guess that would be the Jalen Smith thing. So here's what he said: They just signed Jalen Smith before this past season, so I don't think so. They have to find a way to get um, Lan- uh, Vander Esch, Smith, and Parson on the field at the same time, but depends on opposing offenses. So it'd be interesting. So I don't know enough about the Cowboys to really say one way or the other to um, to go there. So here we go. Do you, um, KMA Press, and this is about what we talked about earlier. Do you think the argument you made about the Bengals drafting wide receiver first and O-line later 
could also be applied to the Steelers who took a running back first when they need an offensive line. That's a little different situation because I don't put as much value on running backs as I do wide receivers, uh, at least in today's game. And, and and I'm also not as high on on Najee Harris as, as the Steelers appear to be. So that one would be a little bit different to me. Plus, you got to think about where they're drafting. So for the Bengals, for example, the Bengals drafted fifth. They're getting, in my opinion, a far more dynamic player than you're going to get at 24, just based on draft stats. Now, again, that doesn't mean every guy who gets drafted in the 20s isn't going to be a, an elite player. I think Mike Trout was drafted in the 20s in Major League Baseball draft, right? Uh, so, but just theoretically, you're 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 drafting because you think the player in the top five is going to be more dynamic. But also, when you look at their second round pick, the Bengals are picking 38th, so they're most likely going to have a shot at a guy that slipped a little. And, and if they have to jump up a couple spots to maybe get an Eichenberg or an, a lineman that they like, they're not giving up much. Maybe a fifth-round pick, right? Whereas when you look at the Steelers, the Steelers don't pick till 55. So you go from 24 to 55, so that's 17 different spots between the Bengals and the Steelers, and it's 19 spots from where the Dolphins pick with the fourth overall pick of the second round and where the Steelers pick at 55. So, again, the Steelers are in a unique situation to where – you're going much further down round two, and the odds of you getting that first-round slider at 55 are slim, whereas the Bengals and Dolphins have a much better shot. So it also depends on, again, context is always important, and it's different between the team that's picking in the the 5, the 10, and then the, the 30s compared to a team that's picking in the 20s and the 50s, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, I know you are upbeat with Indy with AJ Harris's recruitment. Do you still feel that way? The national media seems to think it's an, a Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama race with him scheduling visits there already. I mean, look, the national media is always going to think guys go there. And until Notre Dame can beat those programs for a Southern cornerback, that's always going to be a legitimate question, right? I mean, the kids from Alabama. So I can understand the Notre Dame, the national media being that way. When I was high on him, he didn't have some of those offers. He didn't have a Bama and Ohio State offer when I was high on Notre Dame's chances. I, the kid grew up a Notre Dame fan. His family grew up Notre Dame fans. That should give Notre Dame a shot. But they got to seal the deal. And until they can start winning those battles on the recruiting trail, and, and to finish this question, he is a program-changing recruit Notre Dame must get. And I would agree. It does send a strong message. But, again, they have to prove they can get those guys. And, yes, they're battling, but they haven't proven they can get those guys in the secondary yet. And that's going to be that's going to be the key. Okay. Tommy Leonard, how disappointed will you be if we don't see Avery Davis take a jet sweep toss or handoff and throw it deep this year? I'll be very disappointed. Very, very disappointed. Or a double pass. Very disappointed. I would be, I would be very. Nick Jeffers agrees. Need at least one Avery pass. Yes, I'd be very disappointed. I would personally send a letter to Coach Reese complaining about that. If we get to the end of the season, we don't see that. Okay. P-Dub. Will linebackers like Manti Teo make a comeback? Okay, I'm actually going to write an article about this soon. I, I, I kind of talked about it the other day. And I believe so. And I think for two reasons. Reason number one, P-Dub, is I think the game is cyclical. And we're going to get to a time when running the ball becomes more important in the National Football League. We're seeing it in college, you know, where the teams that have thrown the ball effectively are still teams that run for over 200 yards a game or at least 190 plus yards per game. The other reason why is I think with the the advent of RPOs, there there is a need, in my opinion, and there or if the or if teams haven't figured it out, there will be soon a need for 
the ability to, to be more effective against the run with a five-man box and is and be able to kind of take your outside backers and stretch them out a little bit. Well, right now, if you have three athletic linebackers in the field, take Drew White, for example. Drew White, very good football player, very athletic, but he's 225 pounds. If you try to defend the run game with a, with a five-man box and you take your will and you kind of put him in the slot against a four-receiver set – or you take and you take your you know your um your your rover or your sam and you put him out of the box and you try to defend with a five man box and your safety's coming down you're going to be vulnerable if you don't have a manti teo at mike i believe with a manti teo type player at mike are there some pass game things you give up yeah you're not going to do a lot of man coverage with your middle linebacker but i do think you can be effective in zone coverage manti his final year had seven interceptions i think you look at a guy like junior to alamaka he's a good zone cover player but you, what you, what you also do is now you have more of a thumper that's more of a force against the run, and it, it allows you to be more effective attacking the run with a a a split out box, if that makes sense. Where you you need you really need that as a, an, an athletic undersized player is going to have a harder time doing that. You need to find a way to get that sixth and seventh guy into the box somehow. I think a thumper at Mike. If, especially if he's like really instinctive and can get downhill and, and eat up gaps, can allow you to be more effective against the run game um, th- than you're, you're going to be. And I had someone earlier ask about whether or not I think Notre Dame is going to be able to hold teams to under 100 yards. With Navy on the schedule, that's going to be difficult because the reality is you could hold Navy to 250 yards rushing. It seems like a lot and keep them 100 yards under their season average. And that's just going to blow up your average. I think could Notre Dame hold opponents to under 100 yards when it comes to non-option opponents, it's possible. I mean, they weren't that far from it most of last year, and, and I think a lot of their best run defenders are back. So I certainly certainly think it's possible. Thomas Wall says, Jalen had second most tackles in the league last year, but it does seem like Dallas and others don't think he's been good, don't watch enough Dallas games to know. I don't either. I'll say this in theory. Making a lot of tackles doesn't mean you're a good player. If you're making a lot of tackles eight, nine yards down the field, it doesn't mean you're a good player. And I also would be very curious to kind of see what the difference is in, in regards to uh, his solo tackles compared to his total tackles. I'm actually going to look that up right now. So last year, Jalen was second in the league in total tackles at 154. Excuse me, but he was, let's see, fifth in solos, one and a half sacks, seven tackles for loss. So he had seven tackles for loss, for example, right? Roquan Smith had 18. Devin White had 18. Uh, Levante David had 14. So they're making more impactful plays. So uh, you look at some other guys, Hassan Reddick, 20 tackles for loss. Zadarius Smith, he's an outside linebacker. He had 17 and a half, 17 tackles for loss. Let's see some more actually pure linebackers, not outside linebackers. Let's see here. Vince Williams from Pittsburgh had 15 tackles for loss. And he had Levante David, 14 tackles for loss. Jamal Adams, 14 tackles for loss. Uh, see, those are outside guy, outside guy. KJ Wright had 12 tackles for loss. So I think it's it's about the impact plays and the and as opposed to just pure production. Let's see here. Uh, Mark Slarich just said Rogers trade to Denver is as close to done deal as is possible. I I'd be shocked by that. I, I really would. I mean, look, here's the deal. I'm not a huge Aaron Rodgers fan as a person. He's a heck of a quarterback. Denver is in a unique situation in that most of their best players on offense are all young. They're all on their rookie contracts. 
Their stud left tackle, Garrett, uh, Garrett Bowles, who's finally became a stud, is, I believe, still on his rookie contract. Jerry Judy's on his rookie contract. Cortland Sutton's on a rookie contract. Noah Fant's on a rookie contract. Uh, running back, they have Gordon at red, running back, but he's not super highly paid. It's very manageable. Royce Freeman, I believe, is one of their backs. He's still on his rookie contract. K.J. Hamler's on his rookie contract. Tim Patrick doesn't make a lot of money. They don't have a ton of money invested in, in their best offensive players because they're so young. You take a guy like Aaron Rodgers who's making a mess load of money, it's hard for the Packers to go out there and get veterans to put around him because they can't afford to do it. So you have to go through the draft. Well, Denver's already built up through the draft. So if you're willing to do that and, and get him, yeah, okay, I, I get it. I, that would be a situation where I say, okay, as much as I love Drew Locke, and I think a lot of Drew Locke, I'd really like to see him stay in Denver. You get Aaron Rodgers, you got a chance to win a Super Bowl, in my opinion, because of what you have around him. Um, so, you know, I'd be a little surprised if that happened just because trades like that don't often happen. But as a Broncos fan, if I could deal with Aaron Rodgers being a not the greatest person in the world and only cared about whether they're going to win or not, yeah, I, I, th I think that would make a lot of sense for, for Denver. All right, P-Dub, Dallas uh, D-line was suspect last year. 300 pounders of full speed is not something backers want to deal with. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And, and again, that's why I say I don't know enough about what Dallas's situation is to be able to have an opinion on that. Christopher, how much athleticism was lost when Jalen got hurt? I think a lot. I mean, look, I've watched Jalen play probably like eight or nine games in his NFL career. And what I see is a guy that vertically has a lot of explosiveness, still has that. But he is not the change of direction athlete that he was before the knee. So, yeah, I absolutely think he lost a lot, a lot of athleticism. Now, the reason he's still a good NFL player, or at least a productive NFL player who has a Pro Bowl under his belt, is because him losing a step meant he went from having being a high 4-3 to a low 4-4 to a, a mid 4-5, which is still really fast for a linebacker. So I think that's why he's still been been good. But yeah, I, I do think from the games I've seen him play, he's definitely, I, I don't know, vertically maybe he hasn't lost a ton, but his side to side, his change of direction, his plant and go is not quite what it was when he was at Notre Dame. I, I would have loved to have seen what he could do in the NFL at, at full speed. Pete also says, how much uh, do you think Jer Jeremiah Wusukoromo should move to safety in the NFL? No, I don't. I don't think he is. I don't think he is a third level player. Now, safety in that he could be like a nickel safety in the slot. Sure, that's fine. That's close to what he did at Rover, but I don't think he's a, a back level safety in my opinion. The caveat is I don't know every defensive system in the NFL. Perhaps there's a defensive system that's a primarily the safety is downhill in the alleys and covering tight ends. Sure. Okay. Then he could maybe do that, but. I don't think he has the long speed uh, of someone who is a safety in the National Football League. And then Searcher Green has a comment. This is it. I don't have any other questions, so we'll wrap up after this. He says, apparently the Rodgers already told teammates he isn't coming back, wants to be traded to the to Denver, the 49ers, or Raiders. Yeah, I mean, he, he can say that all he wants, but the Packers still have to agree to it. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing is they've been adamant about it. That could also be games. They're saying, hey, we're, we're, we're not going to trade him. We're not going to trade him. We're not going to trade him because that means you have to give us more if you want to get him. Hey, we don't, we're not trading him. So if, you're, if you want him, you better make it worth our while. I think a lot of that could be gamesmanship. But I, that kind of trade is just so rare of, a, of trading an MVP quarterback the year after he won the MVP and you know, taking your team to playoffs two years. Those things just don't happen very often. So I, I'll believe it when I see it. So um, KMA Preston, does Notre Dame lead for any cornerbacks right now? Yes. Uh, I believe I, I think they lead for Devin Moore. 
I'm not going to stick my reputation on that, but based on the people I've talked to that are close to that situation, I really like where Notre Dame is at. And I think if Notre Dame pushed for Benjamin Morrison, I think they could they could probably get him in the class too. And if they added those two guys in the class to Jade Mickey, because let's not forget, they already have a corner in the class, so they clearly lead for Jade Mickey. And his junior film was outstanding. He went from a top 250 player in my grade to top 150 player in my book with his junior season. He was very very good and you have to remember he plays against very good competition out there in california uh, in the league he plays in so yeah they have mickey already in the class and i would say i, f- I really like where they stand with uh benjamin morrison and and uh and devin moore searcher green says when is the next show so the next show will be tomorrow after the blue gold game at some point in time what i would encourage you to do searcher is if you do not have not done this already hit the notifications bell uh because what i'm going to do is i'm going to when I am ready to leave the stadium tomorrow and head home after the game, I'm going to set the time for when we're going to start the live show. So we'll, after the game, I'll come home uh, and get ready and we'll start a live show at some point in time after that. So I'll probably set it for like an hour or so after for when I leave the stadium, just to make sure I have time to, to get from the stadium all the way out to Granger. So yes, I will have that. So we'll do it tomorrow after the game, just kind of give my thoughts on the game, how I thought everything went. Thing takeaways from it. Ask your answer your questions. I want to hear from y'all what you all thought of the game. So we'll talk about that tomorrow too. So again, as always, subscribe to irishbreakdown.com. Hit the notification bell because if you're just a subscriber but you don't hit the notification bell, you will not get told when I do schedule a show. And right now, if you are hit the notification bell, I believe when I schedule a show, even if it's days in advance, it will tell you that the show is coming. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast in whatever form you listen to podcasts. And as always, read irishbreakdown.com. So I thank everybody for being with me today. It's going to be a fun night. Uh, I will have a live blog going at irishbreakdown.com. In it, you'll find all my thoughts on the 32, well, 31 of the 32 picks last night, because I don't know enough about Joe Tryon to really have an opinion. I guess the 30, because I didn't know a whole lot about Peyton Turner either. But all my thoughts on the draft picks last night, I'll talk about the, the Notre Dame guys tonight. Hopefully, several guys get picked tonight. Tonight is rounds two and three. I believe it starts at 7 o'clock. I'll be watching that. So I will see you all on Twitter. We will have the live blog, which if you want to ask, engage with me on in questions and things like that and talk during the draft, you can do it in there. And then, of course, tomorrow I will have the live, the live blog going on the website. So make sure you're checking out irishbreakdown.com for that. So everybody have a great rest of your Friday, and we will talk to you guys and gals all again very, very soon.
It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com